All right, everybody. What's up? This is uh, Cypher 73. This is the Universal Dialect Show. Like, I got my words all mixed up because I got like a, 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 an idol of mine on. So, you know, I'm probably going to, you know, fumble over my words. But uh, let me take a deep breath. All right. So here's this individual's repertoire. OK, he is an MC producer, artist, manager, uh, record promoter, an archivist, journalist, DJ, radio show host record label manager and i consider him what you could call a hip-hop cartographer because he uh helped connect a lot of like groups to myself and so many others um you know please welcome my guest kevin beecham how you doing my brother i'm doing very good thank you man that was, that was a great intro I, i've done some things <laughs> i've done a few things <laughs> well i mean you know you probably don't know a lot about yourself until somebody you know brings it up because you, you're involved in so many things uh i first heard your name or i first saw your name in so many message boards and this was when i was like initially starting with insomniac magazine you know you know on my own i started in 96 and uh and i never wanted to follow like the trends of some of these other like um i don't know i guess you can call them you know uh uh, interviewee interviewers or whatever you know where they were just going down the mainstream path I always found myself going towards the underground I mean even with like uh with metal because I'm a metalhead too I'm a headbanger you know so I never went for the mainstream groups because I couldn't relate to them that was the main thing I just I had to follow what I what I could relate to and your name would always pop up in message boards you were always there and you were always yo listen to this group listen to that group and then it would lead me down these paths like hooking up with like you know, uh, living legends in California, Mr. Journeyman, and all them dudes, and Rhyme Sayers Entertainment. I remember um, actually having a conversation with Brent Sayers, and then having some sort of relationship with him, where I was doing reviews for for some of their artists. So you're very instrumental in a lot of people's lives. You might not know it, and you're definitely instrumental in mine. So, so can you give me the origin story of Kevin Beecham, from where you were born, um, all the different places that you went to? Because I would imagine those had influences on you. Yeah. Okay. And and just go from there. And, and your intro into hip hop. Yeah. And, and um, for sure. Um. My well, I grew up. My 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 dad um joined the army or was drafted. I should say drafted in the army like right wow. before I was conceived. <laughs> right after my mom, my parents got married. So like um. So yeah. So like he, I was born in a, being born in Germany, Frankfurt, Germany. Wow. You know, we were living he was stationed over there. And then, um, yeah, and then I, I lived there till I was about two years old. We came back to the U.S., lived in Texas for a while, El Paso, Texas for a little bit, moved to Colorado Springs for a little bit. Um, then we just, then my dad got shipped off somewhere else to go, like, you know, on his own, do some things. And so we were living in Galesburg, Illinois, where my mom is from. We stayed in Chicago for a little while. So then, like, you know, after like a year and a half of that, I think, we moved back to Germany. So I lived in Karlsruhe and Stuttgart, and that was like from like age seven to like age 14. I would spend most of my, so when hip hop was being created and born, I was living in Germany all that time. And for a lot, a lot of people might think that's like a, a disadvantage, but I learned that was kind of an advantage. Bittersweet though, because like, because of the time period, a lot of what was going on, a lot of the poverty was happening around the world. It's like kind of, it's like, you know, Reaganomics and all these right. things that were happening, you know, with, and it was hitting New York hard. You hear all the stories about when hip hop was created, how like the Bronx was like sort of like this, like, um, you know, just like a third world country, bro. Third world country, yeah. I lived like, there. I lived yeah, there, bro. Yeah. So like, you know, it's like, 
you know those stories. So like, yes. so because of that, a lot of those families were joining the military. So all the time on these bases in New York, I would find, I would just go like, every time there's a new student, I'd be like, where are you from? <laughs> and they're from New York. What tapes you got? So once I learned hip hop, it was about that. And I learned right. that my, my, my dad was the one that actually got my first rap record. You know, he, he got wow. sent to Indiana to do a um, training for the military. And while he was there, they played Rapper's Delight on the radio. Oh, he, he wrote, you know, he would write letters to the family and have like section for like me, my sister, my mom, like a little section in my section in one letter. He was like, heard this song on the radio. I'm going to send you a tape. You're going to like it. Something new you never heard before. And I'm like all excited. Like, What's this new thing I never heard before? Because he knew I love music already. How old were you then? I was nine. Wow. Okay. I was, not, I was nine when he told me. And um, he ended up not sending me the tape. But, <laughs> but, but he did because he, he did. He came home. He found the record. So he brought me the Rapper's Delight 12 inch and he brought it back for like, it was right around my, for my 10th birthday. I was turning 10 and that was like, he came back around that time and gave it to me. So it was like new music. I was a fan of music. It was this new thing I never heard before. It was actually a sound that was from the youth. It was um, given to me on my birthday from my dad who had, you know, all these factors made right. it special to me. And I remember very specifically when I listened to it, I said out loud, I was by myself in the room. I'm pretty sure by myself. I said, I have to find everything that sounds like this. It hits you like that? Yeah. And so like, I went on that mission, like, and I'm pretty much still on that mission to some degree. But like, you know, like, you know, like trying to find everything that sounded like that. And so like it kind of from there, and then like, you know, you know, that was kind of like started my my um always trying to track down tapes and music from any whoever. Like I was like the person out there, like, who has tapes? Who has the newest music? I gotta have it. Always I was so passionate about getting new music. <clears throat> wherever I moved. So we left from, from Kansas. I mean, from um, Germany, we moved to Kansas, Fort Raleigh, Junction City, Kansas. And then we moved to North Chicago, uh, Waukegan, Illinois. And that's where my dad retired. So that was the first time he lived somewhere for a long time was in that area of um, Illinois near Chicago. And that's why I had that kind of like known for that Chicago scene. Because he retired there. I graduated high school there the same year, 88. We both, he graduated. I graduated high school. He retired in the military the same. You had a joint celebration, like you know, roses came in for both. That's right. so. What, how old were you in '88 when you when you? Uh, 18. Right, right. So I was, like, I was 18. 18. Okay. Yeah. And did you have any aspirations of maybe joining the military like he did, or you already had other? Not things? at all. Zero percent. Okay, I gotcha. Zero. It was never even a question. I, I already knew that that was not for me. Um, like my my aspirations, if it if it wasn't music, I actually was thinking about going to acting school. And um, I can see it. Thank you. And then I also had everything, you know, those like those tests you would take in school, like what are you best suited for? Right. Every single time it was like I was uh, should be a psychiatrist, a social worker. And it's funny, I didn't I, I, I saw it because I had an interest in it, but I didn't see myself doing that. But now I see how it relates to the work, like just like being able to talk to people right. and communicate. And it's like all those things like, oh, I, like working with artists and being an artist manager, or whatever, you're kind of like got to be like kind of like a social worker and be able to listen, be empathetic and so I saw how those qualities did like weren't in me, but I could use them in other other ways. But yeah, that's awesome. So that's kind of like it from the end from there, you know. Um, yeah, and all those things did play a big part, I think, in what influenced me because like I was always moving away. I, I I that helped me understand that like I just loved hip hop as a general thing. I didn't have this like you know like connection to a hometown. Like I got like New York from you know hip hop from New York or from LA. Like it was just the music to me. So it piqued your interest and then that, that interest spread outwards instead of just staying concentrated in one area. Right, right, right. I had no like particular 
I had no reason to be like, I only like this kind of thing because I, because I, I have a personal connection. My right. personal connection, I, I never ha had a hometown. So you weren't attached to anything essentially? No, that's why I've been able to move around and not worry about it. And, and, and why I've, I think it's why I've been able to move around and be flexible like that. It's why I've been able to be flexible and like uh, embracing all kinds of cultures. And, and I always say that's not the same. A lot of people in the military probably didn't, don't have that same experience. I'm just saying right. for me, that's why I think it influenced me. You know, the combination of those experiences and who I was born to be, I think ended up that thing. Right. So you, so you, so you, uh, because of the military essentially is the reason why you got essentially uh, connected to the hip hop culture and what a lot of people don't know and what doesn't really get talked about. I, I figure somebody has to do like a documentary on how the military helped hip hop. If you think about it, because I read an article years ago in a graffiti magazine and it was this guy who uh, at that time he was about 40 or 50 years old, but he was talking about how he was stationed overseas and he would bring hip hop over there. He would meet people from other States over there overseas and they would form groups and everything and that spread out and then there's a documentary i don't know if you're aware of mm -hmm. things called bombing with africa bambata where he goes over to england and he tries mm -hmm. to start a zulu nation chapter over there mm -hmm. and yeah, it has to do with uh you know who goldie is oh yeah 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 yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah goldie was oh, i heard about this i haven't seen it okay. yes you got to see that so okay. that okay. even more like emphasis on how hip-hop like didn't just stay in let's say the tri-state area or didn't just uh, go over to the West Coast and stay on the West Coast. It like spread like wildfire right away, and it was already. Oh, yeah. and, and there was like there was like tours happening in the eighties in Europe that weren't even happening in the United States. Right, right, right. Because like I'm saying, like, and that was I think a big part of it was like the military family. And like you hear different stories. I have like a list somewhere in all my research. I have a list of like different known artists who were part of the military and people like you know like. I remember like in the Boogie Monsters, they rap about being on military base in Alaska. Yes. I heard like, you know, two live crew. They were now, like- was that, Now was that Vex? I believe that was Vex, yeah. Vex yeah. and his family probably? Like I think so, yeah, I think okay. so, yeah. So yeah, so like, you know, like I, I, there's a, a handful of artists who like <laughs> talk those stories about like, you know, Ice-T was in the military, you know? Like, right. You know, so like you hear these different stories, like all these, oh, okay. And, and you know that there's a lot of like, you know, connections like like some of my first mentors were like military GIs, you know, first it was like people who were just older than me, like I was like in junior high. So like some of my first mentors was like high school kids who came from New York. So but who then, took you under who took you under their wing? Do you know, well, do you remember or oh, yeah, any yeah, stories? Oh, oh, yeah, for sure. And so I first heard about hip hop in like late 79, the God record in 1980. And then um, I don't really remember knowing anyone locally doing it except for popping like dancing but no one else i knew rapping quite for a while but then there was these two dudes um 81 when we were in stuttgart um mckinley thompson and mike young shout out shout out mckinley thompson and mike young it was dope because mckinley's no mckinley uh thompson one of the first MCs i knew in person his first two letters of his name are mc See? And that was his rap name. That was that was that was so like his name is MC because it was that was like so dope. Like so so him and him they were like six years older than me. They would like you know at the basketball games on the bleachers they'd be sitting there together doing rap routines or walking home from school. You know I would see them come from because I go from the, the middle school they'd come from high school. I see them like I run up yo kick a rhyme and I was like a, like their big fan. So they were always like 
I was like, they were like, all right, come on, we'll rap for you. And like, then they would encourage me to rap. And so like, now later I learned they were doing actually rap song lyrics from songs. They weren't they, doing their original lyrics. Right, I didn't know they didn't tell you that though, right? Yeah. That was kind of normal at the time. Even on records, people were doing right. other people. Like it was like people were doing stock rhymes. Right. So when I learned, like they were doing this, there was a song called, a song I didn't know the name of it for years, like not till like the nineties, but I, I had it on tape. But um, it's uh, uh, the Sound of Brooklyn record, TSOB record from 1979, 1980. And I remember, I always thought it was just called Platinum Studio because there's this hook that goes, Platinum Studio rocks the house, Platinum. So I, I was like, oh, their, their name must be Platinum. That's a dope name, Platinum Studio. <laughs> I call them Platinum Studio because I didn't know what the group was called. Hello, hello, hello. No, don't tell me the internet's down. That, that evolution of that stuff like that. And then the next thing, this guy moved from um, New York, Steve White, AKA Romeo. Oh, uh, Kevin, real quick. Yeah. There was a, there was a, uh, you froze for like probably yeah, like 30 seconds. Did you see me freeze? Okay, so so you said that you, you found Platinum Studios dope. Yeah. And then that's where you kind of froze. So, so I'm okay, sorry. Yeah. Can, if you can go back to that, I'm sorry. I thought I was like, that's a guy. Imagine that. I thought I was about to have a, <laughs> I, was, I was like, okay, I don't want to act like I'm crazy. I'm seeing things. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see it freeze. I just heard my voice come. I was like, did my voice just come after later? I was like, okay, so. Okay. <laughs> right, uh, it it ain't you, brother. You're good. You're good, man. <laughs> I'm watching, I'm watching this TV show, um, Evil. Oh, with uh, the dude that played Luke Cage. Yeah. yeah and so, I like, like you know, there's all kinds of, like, I'm like, wait a minute. This show's going to be... Look, bro, nothing's moving behind you. You're good, right, cool. <laughs> I did have, like, a split thing. I was like, wait a minute. Am I in a dream right now? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, just look out for me. If you see a demon behind me, just let me know. No, man, I got man. you. I got you. Uh, but, no, so, uh, so Platinum Studio, and then I, that's when I heard that song on a tape. Then I'm like, oh, okay, these guys are just doing other people's routines. And so I was like, okay. And that helped me just learn that like I can do that to learn how to just like, you know, rhyme. I would rhyme along to every record. Well, that's what MCs do anyway, or even artists in general, they'll copy their favorite artists and eventually create their own style. Yes, exactly. And then there's another guy that moved to town, uh, Steve White, AKA Romeo. And he lived in the building right behind us. And he was from, I, I wanna say he is from Queens. I know he's from New York. I, just, I always picture him from Queens, but I can't know for sure. And I tried to find him for so many, but his name is Steve White. So I know. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> so that's been like nothing. But um, he was an MC, and he would tell me stories about. He he was like, right before his story was like, right before he left New York, he was in a group that was about to sign a record deal and was going to put a record out. Um, and I believe they were called like the High Powered MCs, which is interesting because, you know, Craig G. His older brother was part of a group called the High Powered MCs from Queens. I was like, always oh, well, that might be the same crew, but I've never been able to figure out if it's the same crew or not. I've, I've, I've asked Craig about it, but he didn't like know all the members' names. Like, he's like, oh, this is like a big conglomerate of people. It's like, maybe he was down some kind of way. So it's possible that Steve White might yeah. have been down with Craig G's older brother. It's like this weird possibility. No, right? you're right because I mean, at that time also, like you know, they 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 groups were formed and they were formed not just domestically but internationally. Yeah, you know. You never yeah. know. So it was like, so he had this story about like, you know, that being part of this crew and he knew I was passionate about it. And by then I had wrote my first rhyme when I met him. Okay. There was, um, and what year is this? I'm sorry. I just, I want context. I need context. This, been, this was in 80, 80. This has been like a few months, like a few months after I heard that, right. um, rappers are like, like a few wow. months. Later. Yeah. Not so just, you just, you just jumped right into it then. 
Yeah, basically, and it wasn't even like I planned it. It was like literally like not long after that, I was collecting more music and I had got the um, Funky 4 Plus One More for a single, Rapping and yes. Rapping House. You yep. know, that was like a song, you know, it's like 14 minutes long or something like that. So I mean, my parents had a long mirror in their room, in their bedroom, in between their two closets. And I was in the mirror rapping along to that record. Just rapping along. I was a big fan of that record in general, but Shy Rock and Little Rodney C especially. And when that, when they stopped rhyming, you know, there was like a long instrumental break. Without even thinking, I just started rapping. Like I was so excited that when they stopped rapping, I couldn't. I just kept going. Damn. Improvised a few bars. And I was like, looking in the mirror, I'm like, I'm rapping. I was like kind of mind blown that I was, so I was like, that's how it started. Just three bars, maybe in the, in the mirror, improvising to that song. And then from there, it was like even a few more months for the next thing, I think. Um, we, we would go to the high school basketball games. And there was this player, I actually just wrote a song about this, but uh, there was a player, his name was Isaiah kind of star player of our, of our, of our, of the high school. And they was like, they, they would like, you know, do this chant in like, uh, you know, that, you know, people like do that stomp or like they do like, we, we were Rocky by Queen. Boom, right. Boom. I didn't recognize it was Queen at first when they did it. But when I, I was like, yo, you can rap to this. When they were doing that, when I realized that I'm like, okay, I'm gonna write a rhyme. So every time they did it, I didn't have a pen and paper. I would just like think, I'd be like, oh, they're doing it. I would think of lyrics. So by the end of that game, I had like eight bars. I had like my first rhyme, just doing it to that foot stomp at a basketball game. And that was like the first rhyme I actually wrote. And did it have a title? No, I don't have a title. I don't even remember anything <laughs> from it. But I, but, 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 but I did it and I told Romeo about it, Steve White. Right. And he's like, okay, I'm going to help you out. So that, ne that next night, he went home that night and the next day he came back to my apartment, my house, and he was like, uh, I wrote a rhyme for you. And he wrote this rhyme. He's like, I'm not going to tell you how to say it. You learning how to say it will have is how you would develop your own style. I was like, okay. So he was talking about like cadence and all that. Yeah, that like, yeah. He's like, okay. yeah. He's like, you got to figure out how to say it. He's like, I wrote it, uh -huh. but you got to figure out how to say it. That's dope, man. And like, so he, and it was like, uh, well, I'm the C double O, the L I E, Coolie. You know it's me, rocking young ladies. It was like, you know, straight up from that time period. You know, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, my name is Coolie. They call me Cool K. You know, it was like this very typical for that time. They wrote this rhyme for me. And that was the first rhyme that I ever like said in public. Like I did when I learned that one, I would say that at school or to my friends. And so it was just like a slow evolution of that, like doing that. And so Steve White was a big uh, mentor for me. And then when I moved to Kansas, there was right. a different guy who was a DJ, DJ Pill, Anthony Pittman. And he was a, a different uh, inspiration and, and mentor as a DJ, but just like in, in just everything. He had, he had a drum machine. You know, he had like, you know, my first time seeing two turntables and a mixer was DJ Pill, like all like seeing it in person. Um, so, yeah. So, like I had those were like my two like main mentors, I would say. That's dope. All right. So then uh, in the so I guess after that, in the future, you wind up becoming DJ Nicholas Scratch. Right. Mm -hmm. But what happens between what you just told me and Nicholas Scratch? Like, is there anything important yeah, between that? Yeah, as a DJ, it's funny. Like I always <clears throat> had an intrigue in DJing, but I just never fully dove into it. So, like. D going back to DJ Pill, like I, so the DJ Pill story is a great story because like it's like a, it's a, it's, it's go for it, go for it, brother. It's one that it's one that like you know like you know it's like it it, it could have went a, a whole a, few, a whole different way, but it didn't. Right. It, it worked out. But 
you know, you always learn as a kid, don't go with strangers, don't talk to strangers. And like, and I'm, I'm 15 years old, so I'm a little older, but still, you know, you got to be mindful, right? Right. Me and my friend, I think I'm 14 this time, actually. I'm 14. And um, we're on the bus on the on the um, Fort Rally Army base going to the gym to basketball. And me and my friend Warren, we're in a group, the 3D crew, where he he's my rap partner, one of my rap partners in the 3D crew in Kansas. And we're on the bus, and there's a guy in front of us with records. I, I'm always looking for every rap song, right? So I got to, right. like, I see records and I can see like Sunny View, Sugar Hill. I can see the labels. I'm like, enjoy. I'm like, okay, these are rap records. I've never seen this many rap records. And I'm just like looking over the seat of the bus. <laughs> he's like, he's like he, he, can, he, he can feel my energy and hearing. <laughs> Finally, he's like, do you want to see the records? I'm like, can I see the records? <laughs> he's like, yeah. He gives me records I'm flipping through. I'm like, what? A new Treacherous Three? What? A new? What, what is this? I remember, like, he had, um, oh, what's that record he had in there? Uh, Pick a Markham. <laughs> he had, he had, he had, he had, this, he had certain records in there because this is like, this is like 84, 85. He had records, and I was like, oh man, that I didn't know of, and some I was excited about. And he was like, yo, I, I, you know, I'm from North Carolina. I'm a DJ. I go back east and get new records. I got a whole setup in my in my barracks. You know, I got turntables, all that. You know, echo machine. I'm like, you got an echo chamber? Because that was no that echo chamber. Then yeah, was, that's next cool. level, man. He's like, yeah, you want to come see it? And I'm oh, like, shit. yeah. <laughs> my, my, my friend Warren's like, don't go with strangers. I'm like, yeah, I'm going with strangers today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Something's calling but, me, man. But you know, but the thing was like, it's in the army barracks. It was like he was like alone in a play. We're on our base, the army yeah. barracks. Like it's not, you know, don't. I'm not saying nothing could go wrong, but. And also, we're not even allowed. We're minors. He had to sneak us in. But my, well, Warren didn't go. It was just me. Warren, Warren went to the gym. I'm going by myself by myself. So I went, and he just, like, had this setup, and I was, like, blown away. I don't know how it happened, but somehow we figured out that actually he worked with my dad. Oh, wow. So then I got permission to go there. Right. So, like, so he was, like, a mentor like that. And so, like, still watching him DJ <laughs> – is how I first he let me touch the turntables, and so that's how I was like, oh, okay, this is how you do this. He showed me he showed me what what you do, and then um, in the summer of '85 was the first time I ever spent the summer away from my parents. I went to go stay with my grandparents in um, in Galesburg, Illinois, and when I came back home, my um, parents and my other the other part of my group was Eddie Barber, MC TNT, burning hot TNT. <laughs> um, him and my parents arranged for a, a, a welcome home party for me because I've gone for I was gone for part of the summer, so they threw a block party and they had pill DJ. They, so that when I came so I came home to this like DJ set up in our driveway and people were there. He That's was spinning live, and then towards the end of the party, he goes, "All right, special announcement today. We're going to hear from uh we're, today we're going to get to witness a brand new DJ do his first ever DJ set." And I was like, "Oh my God, who's it going to be?" Like, <laughs> Who's his DJ? He's like, Kevin Beecham, come to the turntables. I was like, what? <laughs> so that's how I first DJ, because he put me yeah. on the spot at my, at my welcome home party to DJ. He's like, do what I showed you. Yeah. So I that's, DJ. That's my own welcome home party. You know, for that's, how, that's how mentors do it, man. Yeah, that's man. how mentors do it, brother. That was like kind of what kind of started my, my bug for DJing. But the whole time, though, like, I, I, so I knew the basics, <laughs> but I never had the equipment. I had like just like a belt drive turntable and the realistic mixer that everyone the radio shack realistic right. the, the classic and i had that from 85 to 
2000. That was my mixer. I never had, I never had turntables that whole time. When I first started doing mixtapes, right. I'm doing even DJing. I never had turntables. I never owned turntables. So how did you do, how did you do it? Like four track or something like that? No, no, no. I'm saying I just like, I borrowed turntables. Oh, uh, I got you. And when I DJed live, I would have to like think about all the mixes in my head and just hope to work in person. I never had a chance to practice. So you freestyled it. Everything, yeah. I, I, I had no way to practice. Like I, when I made mixtapes, it's like I would borrow them for a couple of days. I had to figure out the whole thing in a couple of days and make it work because I didn't have time to prepare. Wow. I, I would just prepare everything I could just with in my <clears> head, like listen to songs. So that became helped me become a good DJ. I'd have to listen to the songs so much to understand them to be like, is it the same speed? Listen to I'd be like I would spend so much time trying to figure it out. I think that was like ended up being a positive thing. So like DJing was something I didn't really touch on until I moved to Minneapolis and after I stopped doing everything else. Once I stopped emceeing and stopped producing, the DJing thing became more of an interest to me. I'm like, okay, I've always had this in my blood and dabbled in it. Let me just go all out. Right. And so I, that that's what really and that's when I really started going, you know, by Nicholas and okay, let me have a DJ name and all that stuff and do mixtapes and spin live more. Right. That came, you know, like later. I didn't start that until like '98 after like starting DJ in like '84. So where, where where does the group Wild Style fit in? Uh... Wild Style that is formed in '86, '87. Um, right. I'm North Chicago. Like when I first moved to North <laughs> Chicago, um, before that, because in Kansas and Germany, no one my age was rapping. I was the only one my age rapping. Um, everyone else was emceeing was a GI or was in high school. And that was even rare. There was more like, everyone was breakdancing at some point, you know, it, you know, not everyone, but you know, it was, that was common in my age group, even breakdance was coming, but rapping, no, definitely no one was DJing in my age group. Well, breakdancing so was, was the easiest thing to do right. out of all the, need, the, the need, elements. Yeah. Need, yeah. You just can just do a couple of moves and bang. Yeah. <laughs> Pop so, and lock and you're good. <laughs> you're good. Just figure out a couple of things. So, you know, no one of my age was doing it. And then it started like the people that were my friends that wanted to do it, I would teach them and then they would. So then I would create the people my age. So I was like kind of like uh, unique in that way until I moved to North Chicago. That was the first time, you know, it was like that was like also like my icebreaker too. Like that was how it was easy for me to like move to different schools. Right. Like rapping was my magic trick. That was like, oh, this guy. Got a guy that can rap, so it was like a way to get, get like break the ice, ice. Icebreaker, yeah, I got you. Yeah. So when I moved to Chicago, I remember like I was like, okay, I got my, I'm good, I got my icebreaker, <laughs> and like, hey, what you doing? I mean, like, and it's like, like you know, I meet people, and I always find a way to be like, yeah, and I rap, you know, like I was like, they didn't ask, but I would bring it up just so yeah, I could, yeah. like break the ice. But the funny thing is, North Chicago, every time I did that, they go, oh, you rap, you got to meet Doc Rock. And I was like, okay, Doc Rock. You got all it. No one ever asked me, well, let me hear you rap. Right. They were just like, you got to meet Doc Rock. So I was like, who? Why? Am I talking about me? And they go, go hear Doc Rock. I'm tired of hearing about Doc. It's supposed to be about me right now. What right, right. And so then, like, after that, for like a few days of that, and then I was in the homeroom one day. This guy next to me is like, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm writing a rhyme. I rap. <laughs> there you like, go. He goes, you got to hear Doc Rock. I'm like, I'm like, as everyone keeps saying, yeah, I will be glad to meet Doc Rock. He's like, oh, that's my brother. I was like, okay. He's like, oh, oh dude, like, you're always in the right places at the right time, bro. No, it just works out. No, it's, it's crazy, right? He's like, meet us by the library after school. And, you know, you can meet Doc Rock. I'm like, I'll be there. 
And so I went by the library that time and he was like, here's this guy, you know, he had a little entourage with him. He's like, let me hear you rhyme. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm, the, I'm, I'm new here. So I kicked, and back then you know, I was like harmonizing a little bit. Then some like kind of like playful battle rhymes. I think my rhyme I had was like this, like uh, Mary had a little lamb. <laughs> it was like, it was like, Coolie rules the hip hop world. Hip hop world. It was like something like that. It was like this like little song. And it will stay that way. And then dun, 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 I got into like a little battle rhyme. He was like, oh yeah, that's cool. That's cool. That's cool, man. And then he kicked this rhyme that was like the hardest rhyme I ever heard. I was like, I remember like he kicked like two bars. I was like, this guy's as good as Tila Rock. That's what I thought. And right. Tila Rock was like the was yeah, Tila Rock was no joke. Like yeah, Tila Rock was, was like uh he, he he wasn't like I don't even want to say it this way because hip hop is, is is so different now and, and it's yeah. changed so many years they used to rhyme simple back then t yeah. rock was not a simple rapper to me well, man he, he, he was one of the key ones that helped elevate it to the next level yeah he was a complex rapper to me he was like yeah. one of the first yes and so when i heard this guy doc rock do that i was like okay i gotta i gotta step it up and say he was a big inspiration he became like not really a mentor but like Un, a probably an unknowing mentor. I told him now. Since then, and we talk now. I right. told him that, but like I was just inspired by him to like really step my game up. And so from doing that, I started to learn that there were other MCs in the school for the first time. Oh, I'm not the only one rapping in my school. And then I met some other people, and uh, one of this guy was in my math class. This guy Vernon, he just dabbled. He was like, you know, he was more like a smooth cat. He was like the, the coolest, one of the coolest dudes in school, and he could rap, but he was just focused on other things. But he had some friends, this guy, L.A., and this who was in school with us, and then this DJ who was in school in Wisconsin in Kenosha called DJ Flawless. He's like, you got to meet my friends Flawless in L.A. I'm like, okay. And they had already made, like, tapes, like just, like, freestyle tapes, acapella tapes and, like, right. stuff like that. So can I ask so a question real quick, guys, Kevin? Yeah. Because I, it, when I was living in New York, I always noticed that, Okay, you have your native New Yorkers, but there was always transplants from, let's say, Jersey, Boston, always coming in and out. Yeah, so, yeah. so in Chicago, was it the same way where you had a bunch of people from Midway, like from, you know, Wisconsin and maybe even Texas, like constantly, oh. Oh, you know, yeah, like yeah. a revolving door? Yeah, yeah. Because like, you know, what I'm saying when I first moved to Illinois, um, you know, I lived, in, I lived for a brief time in, in, in Highwood, which is right next to Highland Park. And the reason why that is because across the street from like it, right next to High, Highwood is uh, Fort Sheridan. And like um, on Fort Sheridan, one of my best friends was this guy named um, Mike. And at the time, he was just a guy who just loved hip hop. He loved him and his older brother, Chuck, just loved hip hop the way I did. But I was the only one that rapped at that point, you know. Right. But Mike is Spo, a rubber room. He he later on oh, became- Oh, no fucking oh. way. Yeah, yeah. Because we went to high school for a brief second. Like I was there for like, I went to some, that, that school for like 10 days. Like, and, but, but we stayed in touch. And so, like when 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 Spo first wrote his first rhyme, he called me. He's like, "Dude, I remember because he was like he was like the funny dude. He was like a comedian. Him and his brother were like comedians. Right. So I would rap, and they would tell jokes. That was like we go out <laughs> anywhere. They'd be funny. I'd I'd be the rapper. Um, and so when he called me, like he's like, "I'm rapping now." I started laughing because I thought he was going to be like a like Bismarcky. Like I was like, "Oh yeah, he's going to be hilarious. Funny right. stories." I thought it was gonna be like the weird owl of rap. That's what I thought Spo was gonna be based on his personality. So I was like, yeah, come by the house, come by the house. And when he came by and just did like this hardcore rap, I was like, I have the tape, you can hear it. He's like, he raps and he sees my expression. He's like, what? Told you I had lyrics. It's like, oh, oh that's, all real. that's all real. And I have the right, tape. Right, and I was right, just right. like, what? 
He's like, I told you I had lyrics. And then like, <laughs> then like you is, just keep on rapping. Yeah, yeah. Is that available? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, yeah. Sure, I can, I can get you that. Yeah, no, but like, so that, so like, no, I'm saying like you all, and he was from, my point was, he's from Texas. Right. So like, you know, and so like every time, everyone was moving from different places. So it was, it was it, it, and um, Illinois was interesting because that was the first time I had both things. They had the army base there. You had the army base in Fort Sheridan, also the Navy base in um, Great Lakes. So people moving from all over, like you're saying, but that was also the first time that I lived somewhere where people grew up in one place. Right. The roots were there. Because Yeah, because I, everywhere I lived, we, I lived on army base in, in different places that everyone had spent their life moving around for the most part. Correct. And so now I'm like, oh, yeah, people who had never even left North Chicago or Waukegan, they had never left, you know, their 10, 15 city blocks right. or whatever. So that, that was like two extremes for me. So like, yeah. So like, yeah, I was I was meeting people from coming in from all over and meeting people who had never been anywhere but where they were born. It was both happening at that time. So yeah, yeah it, was, it was a crazy time. All right. And so then, go back. Go back. So no, go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm no, sorry. No, that's, that's perfect. So that, so, that, so that was like, you know, when I met LA and um, Flawless, right. uh, a, a Shannon, we went to Shannon's house in Kenosha and we just did a session. And we had me and LA wrote a song together called Flawless about is our DJ is Flawless. That was his name. Right. We got with a song called Flawless without a mistake. And we recorded it. And then that was sort of the like, okay, this came out good. We should become a group. And, and I remember, you know, I, at the time I worked at um the McDonald's, I was a manager of the McDonald's in North Chicago on um, Green Bay Road. And one Friday night, we were just hanging out. Me and LA were by that McDonald's thinking of it like we gotta need a name, like what we're gonna call ourselves. And we were having all these names like it's got to be something that represents like the like the old school but also the future like what can it be and somehow we got to wild style because i was a big fan of the wild style and also right. people always when we would rap we had this like way of rhyming people would be like y'all crazy y'all y'all rap for the crazy y'all these crazy words and crazy styles and we were like oh we could be called wild, wild style. style right 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 and also that i don't say this often but it's funny but like when i was in kansas and um, I have my group, the 3D crew. I mentioned Warren and Eddie. We yes, were the sir. 3D crew. And DJ Pill was our DJ. Um, we always want to be different. And so, like, you know, like, I always, like, I never want to care about following trends. So, like, everyone was wearing Adidas. And so we didn't want to wear Adidas. But, you know, the Tom McCann, Tom, was it Tom, what, Tom McCann was the store? The store, Tom McCann's, yeah. We used to buy, Tom like, McCann. different type of shoes in there, yeah. They had a pair of tennis shoes called like adidas because they, they only had like two stripes or something like that they were like something they were, little, they were like slightly different than adidas i think they were two stripes or four stripes i can't remember what it was but they were called wild styles the shoes no were way wild, they were called wild styles and, and so the so 3d crew wore wild style tennis shoes that was, <laughs> that, was, that was the tennis shoes we had and we had this we had when we, when we won our first our second competition at a rap contest at the local skating rink skate junction we ended our routine like um we're a cold crush crew and you can't defeat us where Wild Styles got tired of Adidas. <laughs> T-A-L, the E-N-T, is what you need to be a deaf MC. And we got that, and you know it's true, or we wouldn't be called the 3D crew. And that's how our routine ended right there. Yeah, so like, yeah, that, that's how we won our first contest, our second contest. So yeah, so like we had these, so all those things just tied into like, okay, we're trying to tie into all these different things. Um, and, what, and what year is that with Wild Style? What that year was 85. That? Yeah, they won that contest at Skate Junction in 85, the summer 85. And did you release an album? No, we with never did. Group, no? Nothing? See, I, I never released any music with I, I worked on like 10 different albums between right. between 
I recorded myself the tape the first time in 82. I started that tape, my first time ever recording tape, I had that. And from 82 to 2001, I worked on like 10 different albums and I never released anything. But do you still I, have that too? Oh, I started releasing that stuff now, like, like the Wild Style okay. stuff. Like the Wild Style stuff is on Spotify. Like that album is on that, that, that you know, version of the album is on right. Spotify, the Wild Style stuff and a few things. But yeah, but and, and some, and it kind of how I really started getting back to making music now. Originally, my only idea was to go back and complete those albums that I've never finished. Right. It's for myself. I was, I want to go, I, I wonder what those albums would sound like. Like I have like the, I have all the, the notes for the beats and the lyrics for all the I still have the lyrics and beats and plans, the notes for the hooks. I have all that stuff in notebooks. I still have that stuff. And so so I was you, kept, go, you kept a lot of stuff, huh? Oh no, I'm I'm a, I've been an archivist from the beginning, pretty much. Wow, no joke. So between Wild Style and then Savage Intellect, yeah. what's the journey between Wild Style and Savage Intellect? Because I oh. remember Savage Intellect. I was in the military when I first heard Savage Intellect. I was in the military from 98 to 02. Oh, okay. And I used to go to a ton of different sites like fullblown.com, uh, undergroundhiphopsite.com, um, ATAC distributions, yeah. all those sites. And yeah. I remember them having that single and, and, and buying the, I think it was a cassette single of Savage Intellect, if I'm not mistaken. Or either that, or I illegally downloaded the MP3. One of the two, but <laughs> probably, probably like, I, I never did anything official. So yeah, probably like probably like a, a, a download. I, I, I did release like a few demos back then. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, so, so that, I had. I, had, I, but I didn't know it was you though. I don't. I didn't know it was you. Oh, okay. So yeah, I, I definitely put out a few demos on some of those websites. That, that's someone else with the same name. It's possible, but like, no, I had. No, it was you. Okay. Trust okay. Me. <laughs> All right. So no. So what happened was, you know, like all those. Uh, these stories, the same stories a lot of times, like, you know, Wild Style, we, we were a group that was about like, you know, pushing limits creatively, but also we, part of it was like, we, we didn't have a problem with like, we understood the business too, to, to a certain degree. Right. So like, I considered it when, when we were challenged to make like, you know, like hip house, I was like, I would do those songs. Like, yeah, how, like, how can I do that and still be a good writer? If you want to make a rock song or house song, a love song, I'd always be like, I think as a challenge, okay, how can I do it and still be good? Right. So I, so I did, it wasn't like I was, uh, you know, uh, opposed to doing different things, but when we got a chance to get a record deal, we got an offer from Atlantic Records. They came out to a show, you know, had the, had the A&R's right. business card. We booked the show just so they could watch us perform. We booked, like, I, that was my first show I ever threw in 89 was a show so right. a lot of records could watch us perform that was like my first ever show so I did they hear about you from word of mouth or was it some somebody in your uh, camp contacted them um flawless became dj mad max he was only flawless for a very for that one demo then became mad max um and then his mom worked for like a, a law for I, I got i'm forgetting but his mom worked for like a law firm or something like that kind of some kind of way and do that she would get contacts like one thing like one thing we did as wild style was she was working with Parker Brothers on something, a board game. Uh, uh, like a, it was for teenage girls, targeting teenage girls, a, a, a matchmaking dating game. And we uh, made the theme song for it. The game That's ended up not never, the game never went into production. It only was in demo phase, but we were right. both going to have a, a, our song. We made the song. I still have that song. Like right. it's, on, it's on Spotify. <laughs> but like, but like <laughs> I got to hear it. It's called My Match. And like, uh, uh, it, it was basically going to be on cassette in the game included with the board game and right, used for, the commercial, for the commercial for Parker Brothers, but it just never came out. So like 
his their mom was getting us different contacts. And so they got some deal they were doing with someone with Atlantic Records, they gave them, she gave them the demo. Like she was a fan of a, a, a the song we had called Cool on the Block. Okay. It was supposed, okay. supposed, supposed to be our summer single. And she was a fan of Cooling on the Block. And so and like her and um his brother, younger brother. So they would like like they would play that song for people. You know, like there's a story that uh, Mad Max told me, like only a couple of years ago. I didn't know this, but like there's a <laughs> <laughs> Mad Max passed away last year. So I've been oh, trying man, to RIP man. Yeah, I've been trying to like do things that's like, you know, um I honor him and his, his, his how he's important to me. Cause he was so important, like pushing me to be better and like uh just helping me learn a lot of things by making music. And there was this thing where like they were like it like uh <clears throat> I, I don't know, like a Best Buy or a Circuit City, something like that, maybe like a Circuit <laughs> City. And um, <laughs> it's him, his brother, and his mother. And um, his brother's over there by like the boom boxes, like checking out the boom boxes. And then his mom at the, at the counter. And all of a sudden, over the loudspeaker, uh, over like the over loud enough for them to hear, cool on the block starts playing. No way. And um, his mom's like, "That's my son." They're on the radio. And she's like freaking out. But that was actually uh, Matt Max's brother playing the tape. <laughs> In one of the boom boxes. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, he was trying to play for everybody to hear it, so he wouldn't right, play right, it from the store right. to hear, blasting it in the store, blasting cool in the block. And she's thinking it's on the radio. It was just like this funny story. That's like, dope, though. She's like, oh. yeah, you guys made it. <laughs> yeah, because she cared about that. Right, that's dope. Was, she, she connected us with the Atlantic Records thing, and then they came. I still can picture. I can picture the guy. He was like typical, long hair, big bushy, you know, bushy mustache. Like he like he was a straight rock dude. Right. He gave, he gave us the card. I booked the show with the uh, Waukegan uh, YMCA on Sheridan Road, and we did this show. Like you know, I got Captain Too Fresh, the 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 the, the main DJ for the area, the, right. the, the DJ for it. So yeah, it was a big deal. But they end up Atlantic Records. When we had a follow up meeting. They were like, "We like your demo. We like the writing on this. We like the production. But right now, we're only signing groups like NWA and Too Short." Because they were just because it's eighty nine. They had, those right. were like they had just blown up. That was like a big deal for the West Coast, and so label. And you look, you find you know in nineteen ninety whatever eighty nine, all these groups sounding like that. So that from Atlantic Records, I know that to be true. Like everyone right. was trying to find like you know a few years later, like everyone was trying to find Wu Tang a few years later, or try to find right. someone exactly. to the chronic. You know, so and, like, and this was uh this was like the pre gangster rap NWA, right? This is like the well, no, no, this is the, this is the straight out of Compton. This is just straight out. Of oh, Compton. this is during straight out of Compton era. Eighty nine. This is straight out of Compton. This came out and Born to Mac, Too Short. Those were the two things that they were oh. trying to get, get us to do. Yeah, because I know I was, Too Short was gangster, but I, I but I know like uh, I think NWA's first album was more like a public enemy, like a West Coast public enemy. Yeah, and yeah, that's like they and it, it, it was like kind of a little bit of both. like you know because you had gangster gangster on there you had right. you know a b is a b you know you had a few different things like that and so they basically asked us would we could would, would be willing to make music like that and and i was like no and they were like <laughs> would you be would you be willing to write for artists like that and i would actually consider that but still oh, ghost, ghost writer yeah they want us to be a, in production they want us to produce and write that and they're like we'll consider it and then we never called them back because i was right. just i was just just in Harden. and that was kind of the beginning in the wild style we couldn't we couldn't come to agreement on that. Um, and oh, because so, some of the members wanted to do it. Is that what it was? I mean, you don't have to answer if you don't want to. I don't want. No, like, no, that's not even. It's not even that. It's that. It's that. I honestly don't even really remember. Right. Okay. Where it broke. I don't really remember. And I don't want to assume. And I've even talked to. And I talked to Mad Max about it. But, you know, we 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 reconnected right before he passed away. We reconnected. Right. 
and I interviewed him. So it's it dope to be able to interview him and all that. Cause I wanted his blessing to do the, I don't know, release the stuff. You know, I yes. did release the Wild Style stuff. So we talked about that. And, and he was like, and we couldn't remember. He was like, we both just think we were both this young. And it's like, right. it, was, it was like, you know, our dream right in front of our face. And it didn't plan out how we, and it didn't happen like we thought. So we both were just, we were all of us. I mean, all three of us. Um, and so I think we were all just a little bit disheartened. So that that has caused friction naturally. Right, it happens. So and so that has kind of happened. And so that and so what happened was I always thought we would get back together. To me, like Wild Style was the future. Like that was my future was Wild Style. I thought that was and not only that because me and Max were also production partners. We had a home studio where we recorded local groups. You know the Rage Cage, Rage Productions. So we had our own production company. We you know we had like a four track eight away drum machine. Right you know, Casio SK5 sampler, you know, it was like budget, but we were able to make songs in our living room. And so I always thought we were going to work together forever. That was going to be my thing. And so when I started making solo music, I started making solo music only for the point of like, so they could hear it and be like, oh yeah, we, we got, we got to make music together. I was trying to like force them like, look what I'm doing guys. Y'all better, y'all better get with this. It's going to be cool. But it didn't work. <laughs> so Damn. they um, went and spit their own thing, and like they actually just they actually just stopped making music. Mad Max stayed making music for a little while, made some really he he produced one of um Spo's first demos. Well, I did Spo's first demo, he did Spo's right. second demo. That's so, like, dope. When, when Spo was so and like and it was he did a dope demo for Spo in like ninety one, super dope demo, like five six tracks. Now did he know? Uh, did they did, did he already know Metamo and all them other dudes? No, I I can tell you also. So so what happened was we were working with Spo became so I. Through Rage Productions, <clears throat> the groups that I was producing, me and Max were producing through our production company, um, <clears throat> we started a kind of like an alliance. You know, you know everything was a posse. We were, we were the, we were the hard, we didn't want to be the hard rock posse, but we were the hard right. rock alliance. That was our posse, the hard rock <laughs> alliance. And so uh, we had a bunch of groups in the hard rock alliance, you know, Wild Style and DOPE, Brain Leakage, Black Man Zeke, I Spy, Underground Solution. Uh, and Spo was one of our groups. And Spo had his own like crew, people, the Rhythm Rhythm Mafia. And that was like Twice Born, LOD. Uh, Thought 4 came from there. Thought, Thought 4, four bro. I love Thought 4, bro. Yeah, so Thought 4 first came from that. So I was at, at it. I, I still have Thought first one of the, the first demo I got that he gave me that never came out. Right. You know, because that was that was the group that that was the artist that Spo found. So I remember Spo ended up becoming because he was like. We had a lot of artists, but Spo was really the best full package. So he was always the priority. Like, okay, we got to get him signed, and then we'll get other things next. Um, he came to me, and we were focused on him as the premier act in a solo demo. Um, and he came to me. He's like, hey, I met this group at Lower Links that wants me to maybe join their group. I have an audition. And I was like, you know what? It's fine. I think you should be active doing stuff and never know where to come for it. Like, but our... Our priority is your solo thing, but go check it out. It can't hurt. Right. See what happens. And so he went to the, you know, to the woods to do this thing with Rubber Room. And then that, that next week, we, we and Spo met every Sunday. So that next Sunday, I came to his house in Highland Park apartment. And um, I'm like, okay, play me the tape. And that was the first, uh, welcome to the Rubber Room. How you doing? Yeah. Welcome. And I heard it. He played it. I sat there silently. When it was done, I said, stop. I was like, join the group. You're in that group now. Right. That's the that's the priority. Yeah, yeah. Ru Rubber Room is, is is like they're in a class by themselves. Like when they when I first heard their their first album, I didn't know they had like previous EPs or anything before that. But when I heard that first album, 
architect technology like that shit was like I, yeah, I can't even man. talk about it honestly bro that shit was uh, special man like no yeah. i'm saying i heard that, i heard that one song and i was like that i changed the whole i was like i told him a few days before that his solo career was a priority heard that one song I was like nope this, <laughs> this group is the priority join that group and make more of this right right no, so no. savage intellect man so what's up with savage yeah. intellect so how so, you get so into that so so I made the so I started making solo music thinking I would get Wild Side back together. That didn't work. And so I started making solo music and I never did anything with it because I didn't like the idea of performing on stage. Like we the, the group that I, I had 3D crew, I had Wild Style. I love the group dynamic. Um in, in, in many ways. I love this the group dynamic. And so I never could I never got motivated to do a solo project. So I came up with the idea of Savage Intellect. And this all this is perfect, it ties together because the name, I was looking for a name. I knew I wanted the name to have this balance. I, I wrote a song, one of the first post Wild Star songs I wrote was called Wild Like an Animal, which is, this is all ties together right here perfectly. <laughs> Wild Like an Animal is a vocal sample from His Majesty. His Majesty is a rap group on the Egyptian Empire uh, label, Egyptian Lovers label, right? In that group, is Shakespeare the One Man Riot, who originally was Doc Rock, who I told you oh, about. Oh yeah, that everybody kept telling you to meet. <laughs> when he graduated from high school, he went to LA to make it as a rapper. The first one, that was one of the biggest ways he inspired me. He's like, I'm, I'm going to go to LA with no plan just to rap. I'm like, you're going to LA to rap? Like he told me stories, like he would like sleep on the streets. He was like, he's first went there, he just went there would be wherever and could rap. He could rap and rap. And he met Drew, who was a DJ and MC, who now people know as Psycho of Insane Poetry. Oh, shit. Before that. So yes, him and yes. Drew became his majesty and got a record deal. The first person I ever knew with a record deal, right? So on that 12-inch, they did one 12-inch. On that 12-inch, they say wild like an animal. They say it twice, actually. <laughs> And so I was like, because of how he, he, they were, uh, you know, inspiration for me, I wanted to do a vocal sample from them. And so, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna sample wild like an animal. But I wanted a counterbalance. I want to be like, how do you like can be like wild like an animal, but also calm? Like I want to be both. That's me. I'm, I'm, I'm I always want to be like balance, even right. back then. So one day when, because when, 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 when Doc Rock now Shakespeare moved to L.A., he would come back to visit his family. One day. In 1989, he came back to visit and didn't, I didn't know he was coming back. I was at the bus stop, got on the bus, and here he was on the bus. I was like, like Shakespeare? He's like, oh, what's Bro, up? always same, always yeah. right place, right time, dude. He just got back in town. He, he had just got back from this um, music seminar. And I think, in, uh, I don't know, I think it was like Jack the Rapper or something like that. I can't remember what it was. But he's like, there's three artists you got to look for. He's like, these three artists. He was like, um, he's telling you this. Yeah, he's telling me. Okay. I said, I went to this. I went to this. I've never been to any kind of convention or anything like that. Right. I've never been to, that's he's an in industry now. He's got a record deal. He's an in industry. He's like, I went to this convention and there's three artists you got to check for. Chill Rob G. He told me Chill Rob G. He's like, he has a song. He's like, I don't know what's called, but the, the opening words are, I'm dope. Face it, shoot it, free base it, pour it in the glass, drink it, chase it, then chill, plex, feel the full effects. I was like, okay, yeah, I got to check for that. That guy's dope. He's like, another one is um, from Philly, Ice Cream Tea. She's dope. I'm like, all right, Ice Cream Tea. And I got that. I, I still love that record. He's like, oh, man, it says some gems on that. If you don't know that record, there's like 
half that record is great. Didn't 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 she inspire Bahamadia? Probably because it's from Philly. That's possible. I, make, I would make. I never heard that, but that would make total sense to me. Like I could have Like I saw an interview where she she referenced. I gotta look for that because I, I, I would love to know that because I'm a big Bahamadia fan. And yeah, Bahamadia is dope. You go listen if you go listen to um, um, National Speaker by Ice Cream Tea. Look that up, and then you then you'll be like, okay, I I, I can see where Bahamadia. Yeah, is. that's what I'm saying. Listen, listen to National Speaker, and then go listen to Innovation from Bahamadia. Okay, from the collage and album. That's just and I, that's just me thinking off the top. You saying that I never even <laughs> thought about it before, but those two in my head, like, oh, okay. Those offbeat, onbeat styles are kind yeah. of cool. yeah. So he told me about Ash Kim T. He goes, oh, he's like the last person to check out for him is a guy produced by Dre. He's like, I don't even know his name, but he rapped to a beat that samples the drum from Houdini's Friends. And I said, like, okay. He's like, I don't even know his name, but he came out with a song that was dope, and that was the DLC. Oh, the DLC, man. Mind blowing. He's like, he just heard. He's like, this guy only came out and did one song. His key, this yeah. guy came out with Dre. Did one song at this conference. He did mind blowing. That was like, I don't, he said like, he didn't even say his name. I don't even know what his name was. He's like, he came out. He was with Dre, and he had the beat from Friends Houdini in the background. That's all I know. I was like, okay, I'll just look out for that. So the song that I wrote was called "Wild Like an Animal, Smooth Like a Prism." Smooth like a prism is a DLC quote. So I right. kind of put Shakespeare with DLC because he told me about DLC for this song. And that was like that balance, wild like an animal, smooth like a prism. Like, that's my style. I want to be wild like an animal, but smooth like a prism. So I was trying to think of a name that captured that. So I had all these names, brutal intelligence, you know, brutal wisdom, savage smarts. So I was like, oh, I was like, all these names. Yo, all MCs do that. They try to come with the illest names. And it, Sometimes and they and sound like, silly, you know. Yeah, like, no. <laughs> but spoke so so tight so Spo had a song called um i think this is putting heads to bed a demo he did with mad max um and in there he says the crew of savage intellect and, and i was and i was literally working up so mad max produced this Spo demo then mad max disappeared he would disappear sometimes he would just disappear for like months he disappeared like, where would he go he he would just go off on his own just to like meditate. like adventures no it's like just like he would just disappear to like reset just to reset his i got gotcha. you yeah he would just like that was just his thing he was like if he if he hit a wall and got frustrated he would just disappear <laughs> and so he disappeared so me and k body of underground solution were going to finish this spell demo and k body was a better producer than me but he liked my arrangement i was the kind of person i would learn when i was doing demos I would learn every artist, every word. I would memorize. I would write down their lyrics, memorize right. their lyrics, so I would know where to put the drops. Because I would know. I, I would. Oh, gotta highlight that word. So I would do the arrangements. So K. Okay, would produce things, right. and then ask me to do the arrangements. Well, so I mean, you even said yourself that you were good with mixing without having, you know, like equipment because you right. kind of arrange everything in your head. So you were really already good at that. I didn't even think about that. But that no, that makes perfect sense, right? And so. I remember I'm sitting here, I'm listening to this demo just to like learn the lyrics. And I'm thinking about my artist name while I'm doing that. And then he says, Crew of Savage. I'm like, wait a second, Savage Intellect. That's literally what I'm trying to come up with. And it that's amazing. So suppose in the next room, I'm like, hey, when you say this line, what is that? What is the who is the crew? He's like, oh, that doesn't mean anything. It's just I just made it, it just sounded cool. I just said it. I was like, can I can I be the crew of savage intellect? 
He's like, yeah, you can have it. So that's where it came from. That's and so, the whole, so the whole idea of it was Savage Intellect was I liked it because it was a group name. I was like, I'm a solo artist with a group name. That way, I was working with like a lot of young artists who were just like learning how to rhyme, who were dope, but didn't really have their full footing. So my whole idea was that every Savage Intellect project, I would be the center of it, but it would be a different MC, like a, a young MC I was mentoring. They would be every, and, and DJ, I would mentor, I, it would be a mentorship program. Right. That was the idea of Savage Intellect. It was a mentorship right. program. So basically every project, it'd be a different second MC and a different DJ. Who I would mentor and then prepare them to go do their own projects. Right. And every so every album, I, it would be me and two and two other people. That I was the idea of Savage Intellect. So I could so I could still be a soloist, right. but also have a group and also a mental artist. It was a way to kind of bring all my kind of passions together. Right. It was kind of like a hip hop factory. Yeah. You know, right. with an assembly line, you know, in and out, doom. And I had a feel like a like, complete like, boom, go fly. Like DJ Steezo was one of my DJs. Then he went graduated to Rap Rubber Room. Right. So like I'm saying, it, like it, it, you see, that's why the ones ones where you saw how it worked, but like you know, like because I give it like DJ Dread, and then it was um Steezo, yeah, it is evolved, you know, like it had this guy, it was a different dude named Illogic. This was it was around the way that he was going to be in it. This guy Crypto who became um MC. So wait, is that the Illogic from Rhyme Sayers or uh, different? Or different totally Illogic. Different. Okay, totally, different. Okay, totally different. Yeah, yeah, it's like the. So yeah, so like all these different MCs and DJs were part of Savage Intellect for brief periods of time. So yeah, that was the idea. Was I kind of make like a like a hip hop factory, basically? Yeah, yeah. All right. So then, from there, where do you fit into the WNUR radio station, the the Northwest uh, University radio station, Time Travel Radio Show? So how does that connect to you having this hip hop factory where you're putting, you know, you're 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 being a mentor and you're kind of letting these people, you know, refine their skills, helping them, and then you're letting them fly. Where where's the time frame? What what happens between that and then what and then jumping into the time travel show yeah this is you're, 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 this is like perfect you're asking these questions that time up and line up in a, in a great I'm way i'm trying to bro you in, in ways that i didn't even think about in some of these things i, I actually just wrote a song here's a sneak preview i just wrote a song called the sound experiment and that's the nur's tagline i wrote a song okay. about my history in you are and and doing that made me think about things i hadn't thought about in a long time so when i first moved to um illinois and I was going to Highland Park High School for a while, like I said, with Mike and, Mike and his brother, Chuck G. Um, it was Mike who told, it was Spo who told me about NUR. He's like, this station, they play hip hop, they play the underground, check it out. And he gave me a tape. And I was like, oh, okay. I remember that first tape, it had, um, that's how I first heard uh, Mikey D in the Symbolic Three, We're Treacherous. I'm like, oh, that song is dope. We're Treacherous. <laughs> um, Mackie D, the rap title regainer, a giveaway juice by the container. I was like, okay, this dude's dope. <laughs> and so that's how I, I first heard that, you know, through Spo, and they gave me that tape. Now, Mikey D's from um, from Queens, he's from Queens, so he's took over for uh, Large Professor. Is that the Mikey D that yes. took over, yeah, yeah, for yeah, Large yeah. Professor. And, and uh, yeah, this is this is a, this is like his first record, you know, because like before that, he was already a Queens legend because he was, yeah, like, yeah. He was in a group of LL. He was a battle. Right. Nobody knows that though. That's the thing. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to, you untold know, I'm trying to bring that out. Right. That's untold, untold history. So that's how yeah. I first heard Mikey D was through that NUR tape. And right. so I would listen to NUR back then. They had a few different shows. And I would record. And that's how I heard a lot of rap songs in the right. 80s. From 85 to the early 90s, how I first heard a lot of songs was, was through NUR. Super important. Even like 
the, there was like a sh they had a, a show called Street Beat that just played anything like you know dance music, um, electronic, and some rap. But they would play a lot of UK hip hop. A lot of how I learned about UK hip hop, like Silver Bullet, right, and Jest, Beat and all them. This is about well, this was before this oh, is like it was before Jest. Okay, yeah, like late, it's like late eighties. It's like Silver Bullet, Crispy Three. What's that? Was Crispy it's, Three? That era, but I don't know if they were playing Crispy Three, but I don't remember that particular, but that era, that, that kind of era, that like late 80s, early 90s, kind of like. Uh, that was the first UK hip hop group that I heard before, like Jest and all those other guys. Oh, okay. It was Crispy yeah. Three. And then they okay. dropped the three part and they just became Crispy. Right, right. Because <laughs> they were on Cold Sweat, I believe, right? Yes, on, that's yeah. it. Yep. I just recently just bought, I got Old Spool writing compilation. I just got, yeah, I'm, always, I'm a big UK rap fan. Right, right. That era, but even now, like, I'm a big yeah. Fan the UK rap is slept on like big time, yes. bro. Yes, I love UK Clash rap. Cough, man. Yeah, Clash in the Cough is dope. Jazz. I mean, there's a bunch of dudes, man. A lot of dudes. dudes. Yeah, uh, Dirty Goods. Woo! I'm a huge fan of Dirty Goods. Yeah, so I can go on. I can do a whole. I can do a whole podcast <laughs> about how I love UK hip hop. I can do a right, whole right. three hours about my love for UK hip hop. So anyway, so anywhere I was listening. To Task Force. I'm sorry, Task Force. Oh, Task Force. When I first heard right? um, New Mike Order EP. Yeah, bro. New Mike Order. Bro. I know. That's I remember cool. the day I bought that. You know, yeah, yeah just, okay, yeah. Man, let's not do it. Let's not go there. I'm sorry. I, I My go, bad, bro. Yeah. <laughs> and you are. Go ahead. I'm sorry. My One of my guys that were part of the Hard Rock Alliance was Black Man Zeke. Zeke. And he had talked to the people in UR who were in the Sunday show, Wise Son and Romaine. I believe it was their show. Um, he got them to give us a small, like 15 minute section on their show. Where we, we would bring down local artists to interview them and play their demo on NUR. That was Zeke's idea. Um, we only did it one time and it was kinetic order. We brought down kinetic order, you know, and played their kinetic order is, uh, uh, Jeff Baraka. No, that's no, uh, oh, that's old type star. So like kinetic order. Star, yes. That's Rob Free and Judgmental. Judgmental is who won like the New Music Seminar MC Battle World Championship in '94. Right. Um, they, they had an album called The Circus or something, right? That is their demo. Yeah, the demo called. So yeah, they, they yeah, never had an album. Yeah, yeah, but they had a, they had the, yeah, the Circus. I think I think we played that on New York that night. But um, but like yeah, they had like a five song demo that was like a one of my favorite demos I ever heard in my life. Is right. There's a and, demo oh, that you introduced me to, but I don't want to talk about it yet. But okay. when I tell you, you're, you're going to be like, oh, shit, I, I, I probably, you probably forgot about him. Go ahead, but keep going. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. But yeah, so so we did that on NUR, and that kind of opened the door, but I still didn't take it serious. I was like, oh, that was cool, but I didn't think much about it. That was more Zeke's thing, and I didn't even do anything with that. But I would go down to, but then I started in 92, I started my own company, Rage Promotions. Was I was like, I was looking for a way to get in the industry. So I was working with all these groups, but had no connections to record labels. I'm like, I need a connection to record labels. So what happened was, like I said, I knew his majesty. It's all ties together. It's so like, right. it's so weird how it all bounces back and forth around these few things. But what happened was his majesty broke up and they both, Shakespeare and, and uh, Drew were going to do solo stuff. So Shakespeare came home to tell me that, you know, another, we had another meeting. This is like 91. He told me that, you know, Drew um, went solo. He's got a project called um, Insane Poetry. And this demo called Black them. And he got this demo called Black Widow. And so I was like, okay, I'll look out for this Black Widow project. And so one day I see an ad in the source for Insane Poetry. How are you going to reason with a psycho on Nasty Mixed Records? I'm like, oh, I know. And by then I had lost contact with um, Shakespeare and Drew. We had lost contact. 
it's like a year later. And um, so I just called Nasty Man. Back then I would I would look in every record 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 or tape or magazine. If there was a number to call, I would call any label right. and be like, how can I help this? Artists, I'm, I'm, I do promotions in Chicago, which, you know, I, I, I and the, the source rap pages, rap sheet. Yeah. And even herb were really good at leaving numbers. So you can contact a lot of these labels. You I know? would buy every magazine I could and then right. call Like if you had a number in a magazine and you had a song I like, I guarantee you, I called you. <laughs> I know you did. Trust me. <laughs> and I have the notes. I, I still have my phone notes. I would make right. notes. I have like, I have notebooks where I'm like, Today I called PMD about his, you know, like hit squad. You know, I have like all these notes still of calling like all these people. And so I called Dasty Mix and I was like, I know this is kind of a strange thing, but I actually know Drew of Insane Poetry. You know, we've done, you know, some, you know, tapes together and stuff like that. Freestyle <clears throat> tapes. I'm just trying to get in touch with him. Can you please just give him my number? You know, I'm like, I, I was naive thinking that someone regularly would pass on my number to Drew. <laughs> but I was just like, I, said, I would call anybody. And they were like, and I was like, is there anything I can do to help in Chicago? They're like, well, you can do promotions. I was like, what does that mean? They're like, we'll send you um, some posters and some records and give the DJs and record stores. I was like, yeah, I can do that. That's it. That's it? Yeah, I can do that. Hung up the phone. I was like, that's it. If labels need that, that's how I can meet people in the business. Right. That, you're, you're that guy. Yeah. I literally took my next paycheck and went out and bought... Um, a fax machine, business card, and I was a business from that day on. And I would just call and fax every label. Like, I do promotions. And so that was kind of how, like, that started. And so from there, I know this is a long way to get you. No, no, dude. Spare no details, homie. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> I'm a detailed person. So, like, yeah, I would. Me too. So, like, when I would do my runs, I would. my job was to give, like, promotions. I would go, like, to DJs, record stores. And radio shows like here's the latest 12 inch cassette you know stickers posters whatever and since nur was on the way back home to where i lived in waukegan north chicago i would save it for last on my trip you know and i would do on i would try to go on the day i would go on the days of hip-hop shows on sundays so i would go to chicago do record stores or hit djs on sundays during the day and then come back late at night and go to nur and because it was my last stop i would just hang out there longer and I knew it because I knew a lot about hip hop. The host would, I would always be, they place, like, oh, that's so and so, this demo. They'd be like, oh, you know a lot about hip hop. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they would like ask me questions. You know, they got interested in what I knew about hip hop. And so I would start going back down there, just be like, I would bring demos they didn't have. And I would use, basically use that to get them to play the records I was promoting. Like, you could right. bringing that new, you know, YZ record, but also bringing that cool Keith demo you liked. You know, that's how we're like, you know, you know, try to help convince them to play stuff. Is this YZ so, like master plan or this YZ like uh, um, uh, um, acid rain era? The good yeah, movie. like I talked I, I, YZ is when I called YZ when his number was in the source for 720 management. I, I talked to YZ and and I was promoting for YZ. He was so great, man. And and he only dropped two albums, I think. Right. Yeah. Only, yeah. Well, he did some other albums, but like like later. But like he said a few albums post that. But like in that time frame, yeah, it was those yeah. He was awesome. I loved him. And, and the EP. So I was just going out in UR frequently. And then some people I knew got a show. This guy Jello, who was friends with Jay Bird, who I've been, you know, connected with in so many ways and all these, you know, decades. He Jello got a show at NUR called In the AM. And I would go down there because I knew Jello and Jay Bird and 33 and a third was a DJ for that show. So I would go down there. 
And um, at some point, the program director was Sean Boogie Boyd. He just called me and said, hey, Jello can't make it this week. Can you come, you know, host a show? And I was like, host a radio show? I, like, <laughs> I, I know music. Right. I, can talk, I can talk about it. I was like, sure. Right. So I went down and I hosted the show and thought that was it. I was like, you know, I had, but I, I loved it. It was amazing. Right. Next week, I got the call again. Like, hey, he's not coming back. Can you come back again? I was like, yeah, I'll come back again. So when they say host the show, like you're just introducing and you're yeah, talking I, about I, music or what is, what is I play whatever doing? I want. They're like, you play whatever you want. Like, I, Wow, I that's dope, man. And so I was went down there and I did it again. And Jello never came back. <laughs> to, this, to this day, I have no idea why. Wow. That was, and that's how time travel started. He just did, did you I, thank Jello? No, I didn't want to bring it up because I was like, he might decide to come back. I just never brought it up. He didn't bring right, it up. Right. I didn't bring it up. We, we well, thank never, you, Jello. <laughs> we just never talked about it. Right, to this right, day, I, I'm still curious, and I'm, I'm just like, you know, I, I, at this point, I haven't talked to him in years, but like, I am still curious, like, why he never came back. But so, so thank you, Sean Boogie Boy, for like making that phone call, and then thank you, Jello, for not coming back. I guess. But like, <laughs> yeah, so that's how I, that's how I started doing time travel. Was just that, and, and like you know, and I always like love the history. <clears throat> and so like my whole when I first started time travel, I first started the radio. It didn't. It, it wasn't called. I started on April twentieth, ninety five. It didn't get called time travel till November of that year. Um, my whole goal with starting on the radio was like, I want to play the songs and artists that I never or rarely heard on the radio. That was like new stuff and going back. So like, if you look from my very first show, right. I was playing like, you know, obscure artists from the, the 80s. And, you know, this was in like 95. I was doing both and also the new things because I always wanted to be like, here's what's getting missed. And then that's kind of what led to um, the name time travel. Um, because you weren't, you weren't fixed on a specific time. That was part of it. And then, so that was big. That was the first part of it. And then around this time, LL was bringing to drop Mr. Smith. And at this time, that was like, now I'm drawing a blank. Well, that's his what, like sixth album? Sixth whatever. album, about six or seventh. Yeah. So like, I'm like, that's rare to have an artist in hip hop have that many albums and still be relevant, that's was unprecedented. Right. That was not, it was very rare. I won't say it was unprecedented, but it was very right. rare at that time to have that kind of a career that LL had. I was like, I want to celebrate this career that LL has. And so I put together a history of LL show to time travel through his career. That you know, show you know, you know, LL dude, like he never gets a lot of credit. Like he was dope MC, like his whole rap career. Not many people can say that. No, that's what I'm saying. And like, and like, and also he was able to find a balance of like to make the hits and still make and still be progressive as an artist. Like he was like the, a great blend of artistry and pop sensibilities. He was able to do right. both. Like, right. and so like, I wanted to celebrate that. And then that was how I got the idea of, I'm like, oh, this is time traveling. And that right. so LL show is what I got the idea of the name of time travel. That's dope, man. Yeah. All right. So we spoke about a magazine. So talk to me about, uh, your magazine that you came out with, uh, the first one that had Common Sense on the cover, uh, caught in the middle. Sort of a similar story. Same thing. From the, a lot of big things started from my promotions company. Now, like I said, the promotions company started just because Drew from Insane Poetry, I knew him. Right? This right connection, right? right. That's the same thing that happened with NUR. Right connection, right? <clears throat> same thing. One of the places I would give this this when I would get like music from my promotions when I was doing from labels, I would give it to like local magazines. And the key one at the time was the flypaper. 
the flat paper in Chicago. Right. They were the rap sheet for a brief time, but there was other rap sheets, so they had to like change the name because it was a different rap sheet, and they became yeah. the flat paper. And so I would give them, you know, hey, here's some new whatever to review. And I would talk to them about it, like, this is why you should review it. And it was Mike Shane and uh, Raymond O'Neill, aka Promo, who owned Flat Paper. And they were like, you should just write reviews. Like, obviously, you listen to the music and you know. And you like, know, you know the stuff, yeah. I was like, like I just did about the radio, I was like, write about hip hop? I guess. <laughs> I like writing. I like hip hop. Sure, I'll try it. Right. And so they asked me to write a review for the next issue. And I, I at times can be like, uh, I can be like insecure, like everyone else, I guess. And so I'm like, okay, I don't know how I feel about my writing. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to write three reviews. That way, they're going to feel guilty and have to pick one. <laughs> so you give like, them no choice. They're going to be like, all. they can't be like, all three of these suck. They'd be like, no, this was the least worst one. We'll just use yeah, it. yeah, we'll do this just, one. I'm going like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to write three. And they'll have to pick one. Have they have pick no one. choice. They picked all three. Oh, holy cow. It was um, the Fuji's first album, the YZ second album, Girls Been Good To Me, and Original Flavor second album. I wrote reviews for all three of those right. records. And they took all three. And I was like, okay, I'm on to something. And then they asked me the next issue to, if I would interview uh, Curious. And that was my first interview, interviewing Curious. was for, And then they asked me to interview Coolio. So that was my first two interviews. That's and dope, bring, man. And I learned so much from those interviews. So like, so the flypaper gave me that spark. And then I came up with the idea. At this time, I, I was really following the path of what Barbito was, Barbito was doing. You know, Stretch Armstrong right. show, his right. column in Rap Pages. He was speaking about the artist that like spoke to my soul. Like that was like... If Bobito was a fan, it was almost guaranteed I was going to be. You were going to listen to it. Yes, I yeah, agree. I was going to listen. I was going to listen to it for sure. And so, same thing. I found out he worked at Def Jam. I called Def Jam. I was like, is Bobito there? <laughs> and like, for real? Yeah, because he was like, he was working like in the mailroom. Yeah. And so, like, I got him on the phone, and me and Bobito, would, I would talk to him about, I would get taste of his show right. and ask him about, like, what was that song? What was that song? What was that song you played? And what was this? And so he, then he would give me numbers. Like, he gave me, like, Here's L by her like company flow. A demo right. he gave me but this is before they were signed. You know, they, yeah, they, they, the juvenile technique. Is that juvenile yeah, technique? That, I yeah. heard that. And I was like, he gave yeah. me the so that's how I met LP. That's how I met Jay Treads. All these people I met, because I would just call Bobito and be like, well, here's a number. Call, call LP, call Jay Treads, call whoever. Jay Treads, bro. Punching words. Like all those he people damn, I got just call, yeah. He wound up becoming a teacher. He stopped rhyming and became a yeah, teacher. I, I, yeah, I used to call him. I used to call him talk to J Trez's father. He's so like, dope, bro. Yeah, J Trez, man. I was I was, I was call his dad. And I yeah. like, is Trez around? No, you know, like, no, like, no, like <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. Like, it was like right, I right. would call everybody. So I got this idea to like, you know, because Bob Beetle had um, you know, Hoppo records and hit yep. you off management. And they had like this crazy lineup, artifacts, hard to obtain, curious, count base D, um, you know, Doom, like that's this is before Doom was Doom. He was still right. like this Zev Love X on his own. Right. You know, and so I gave I gave Zev Love X what might what might be his first interview as Doom. Oh, really? And I can't find it. It's so I'm so aggravated that I can't I know I know the tape looks like I know I have it, but I just haven't found it. Anyway, so what that all came about I saw what Bobby was doing and I went to the flypaper and I was like, hey, I want to do a special on this whole movement and what they're doing. Can I do a 
complete spread next issue, interview all these artists and do it. And they're like, that sounds amazing. So I interviewed Bobito, Count Base D, Artifacts. Um, like, I only actually knew, it was only L, the Sensei, Tame wasn't available. Right. But like, I interviewed all these, and, and like a lot of them was in their first interviews. Like L, L the Sensei was at work. He was at, he had like a receptionist job. He was at work at his job doing right. interviews, like in between taking phone calls at the front desk. So like the interview was like chaotic. Cause he's like, I gotta go answer this phone call for work. So like we're doing the interview, doing this while he's at work. So DIY, all- bro. That's how it is, man. No. DIY. So we did all these interviews, and it was gonna be in this next issue of Fly Paper, and that issue was gonna come out at the '94 New Music Seminar. Right. Where they had a showcase, which is also where Judgmental of Kinetic Order was in the MC battle and won first place, which was a really big deal for MC from Chicago to win that world competition. So this is all happening. And they had a showcase to kind of do the release party for Flypaper. And that showcase had Indigenous Theory, who was Black Man Zeke, who I mentioned earlier, right? And he was in a group with a guy called Gravity. Grab. Grav, yep. That's Kanye's first production was on right. Grav. After Indigenous Theory, Grav went solo and worked with Kanye. So all right. these stories are connected. I got you. I was right. going to get into Grav, though, too. <laughs> which so is good. I'm glad, I'm glad you brought him up. No, so showcase is Indigenous Theory. On that showcase, it's also original flavor. The reason why I believe original flavor is there because I wrote about them in the fly paper, which right. is how they why they booked them. On that showcase, original flavor bought out one of their guest MCs, and that guest MC announced Jay Z. He was going to go solo. Right. I have I have that on videotape because he did it that night. And the, and the original original uh, flavor, the second album is not the original group. Cause they had kicked out a member and they added yeah, somebody, suave. right? So far, they kicked, they kicked yeah. out so far and added. And they even suave. they even talk nasty about them in the second album. <laughs> they, yeah. they, they they do a crazy thing. They take a song that was a song, a song with Ski and Swall right. called "Here We Go." They redid it called "Here We Go Again," replacing T Strong and having him diss the original MC on that song. Which is yeah. Crazy. That's a pretty unique thing. Um, so, so they had this whole showcase, and to, and the whole plan was to release the magazine that night. So some of the artists were there, like Artifacts were there, uh, Bobito was there, and I'm like, all right, the issue of the magazine will be here soon. Your interviews that came out dope. They're in the magazine, the showcase. Like it was a big deal. Like uh, Rampage, the last Boy Scout performance. Yeah, wow. And, uh, Buster Rhymes was there with them. So like it was like a it was a pretty big deal. Um, uh notorious big craig mack yeah it's like a crazy like it's, it's a crazy showcase the magazine never comes out so they have a problem with the printer and paying it so this issue never came out so i had all these artists i told that was i promised was coming and it never came and i was like devastated yeah like, i would imagine and so i went back home and i was like i can't i can't accept this and so Jay Bird had been talking for years about wanting to do like a graffiti magazine. He was inspired by this magazine in Chicago, like kind of unknown thing called It's Yours. It was like a, a, a hip hop magazine. Right. It was like, you can only get it like, I guess, on like the, uh, on the L train. It was passed out for free right. on the L train. They, they have copies on, on eBay, but they're expensive, man. Oh, okay. I haven't even looked. Yeah. Oh, so I yeah. Can't so, afford he, it. <laughs> so he was like, kind of like inspired by that. He would talk about it. I never thought much about it. But after this happened, I went to him. I was like, hey, do you want to start a magazine together? And that's how we got to Caught in the Middle. So we had these meetings where we would go to this place. It was called <clears throat> Seville. It was like this um, diner. We would go there every whatever day it was. Maybe it was on Sundays too. But we would go there on Sundays and meet. 
and we would basically come with all kinds of rap, all kinds of ma- rap and otherwise magazines, and go, okay, what are the things that have to be that the people will expect in there, and what are the things that are missing that no magazine has that we want to start? And that's why, like, like at the time, we didn't find any magazine that had mixtape reviews. We didn't, we couldn't find it. And so right. we, I, I think we may have been one of the first, if not the first, to do mixtape reviews. I wouldn't um, doubt it. <laughs> uh, and there were certain things like that we were doing that, that really magazines weren't doing. And it was like it was good to kind of get that feeling that we were doing something special because when we we uh, ended up mailing copies to um well every issue of call the middle was a different theme right the how many how many issues did you do two you mind? okay but i i if i'm not mistaken rhyme sayers has a third issue we um no they we but this, this is the two issues we have huh. i've talked about the third issue because i because i have a lot of the content but i've right. never just got okay okay all right so you did two okay yeah we did two and and so the first one was like dedicated to hip-hop radio the second one was dedicated to hip-hop magazines so here we are our hip-hop magazine writing about other hip-hop magazines like we didn't want to think about as competition right i got you i got you so it was more like you needed them and they needed you so why fight all this we're all we're all trying to do the same thing we're trying to spread the spread the word that's all we and so we interviewed like you know people that rap pages and people whatever you know and, and and got there like you know about their magazine. Rap Pages ended up doing because of that, Rap Pages became familiar with us. Right. They did a review on they did a review on Caught in the Middle in a, in there it's the um pretty sure it's the far side cover 95. And um they called the, one of the best magazines they've ever saw. Damn. And what you also will notice in that issue, they start mixtape reviews. So I'm like, like okay, we're we're like we're like adding inspiration to like, and I, right. I took it as a compliment. I was like, we're adding inspiration to like, you know, even like the big, you know, they're one of the, the source right. of rap pages were like the biggest magazines. And they so was got, it rap, was it rap sheet or rap pages that had a female owner? Um, I don't know about the owner, but um, Sheena Lester was the um, uh, the editor of um. I think that I think that I think her position was the editor. Like she, she was running it. I don't know if she owned it, but she was like like running it. Right. Like I knew one of them. Like she was like one of the first females to like be running stuff like that. You know. What yeah. I mean? And then, I mean the flavor. The, I don't know who owned the flavor, but the flavor had a strong like. I did. I was like a regional writer for the flavor in Seattle, right. and they had a strong like you know women staff on that. Like right. you know that. So like you know I, yeah, but I, it, it was. I mean, we all know that like there has been like you know a rarity and like how women are represented in yes in, exactly in, general in the world, but in the culture. Right. Yeah, so like you know, like so it was good. Magazines was one of the places where I did see some of that. While first magazines and street promotions is where I saw the first times where like women were having like powerful presence in hip hop, like that stood out. Like right, you know, like okay, they're 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 thriving. And a little bit in Chicago on the radio because we had first lady in Chicago on the radio, and she <clears> was a big um important a radio voice. So like you know, but like yeah, it was like always been a struggle, unfortunately, for for women to get you know just the same. Right, recognition and and respect, you know. Yeah, yeah, and that's always been something I try to like fight against, but like you know, it's right. like there's always more to do. So yeah. All right. So then, so so was your magazine available in Chicago? Was it available like worldwide, like kind of like source or? We um we basically we basically got it out places. Um, you know, we had a lot of context between me and Bird. A lot of the distribution stuff was like Bird. He had a lot of context because he had um he had a promotions company too called Shrewd. That he was partners with Jello, who I mentioned earlier, who had the radio show. And you, so it's all, let's see, it's all the webs are together. All connected, yeah. <laughs> Jay Bird and Jello had shrewd marketing. And they did like, I, well, I was doing like a lot of like smaller, even if I was doing like big labels like AM, I was only, I was like, 
I was a passion project person. When I did promotions, I mostly did things I really cared about. And then if a label forced things I didn't like, I didn't try or I just would quit. True was like, they did more of the bigger things. And, and but also like, you know, they did like, I'm, I'm talking like Wu-Tang. They did like Wu-Tang and Illegal, like label, the labels that had bigger budgets. So they had a lot of contacts because of that. And they were, and they helped like spread uh, Call the Middle through that. And yeah, so like it, we got like a lot of attention and like, um, and also Rubber Room touring. Right. Berg went on tour Rubber Room, he would take them, call the middlemen, put them in different stores, like in Dallas and Texas, right. and LA. So that's why like we would get like letters from like, like a lot of our first demos came from LA. Like that's how I got connected for a lot of like the, like the, the, the Good Life Project Blow stuff. Right. Like, wow. Yeah, because like this guy chat from Ill Brothers was sending right. me like he sent me like OMD and two mechs demos. That's how I heard dilated. Chat sent me dilated stuff on demos before it came right. out. But like I still have like an unreleased dilated song that he sent me that I don't think ever came out. Wow, like Chillin' Villain Empire and all them dudes. That stuff came a little the, later. The cuff, yeah, like, the cuff yeah, and all them. Yeah, so I was getting kind of that because like like you know I remember like J Rock from the Beat Junkies writing a letter talking about how he he kept a. Uh, how he kept the middle magazines nearby to read all the time and reference. And like, he sent me a bunch of his mixtapes. Right. That's dope. So like, so like you know, and, and same with Rhythmatic. So like, I, that's how I connected with the beat junkies. Cause they got the, they got the magazine. And so the magazine was creating a lot of connections that way with people. And we were set up this um, distributor desert moon was a magazine distributor and they were going to take us national or worldwide. I can't remember. Um, but we just ran out of money for the third issue. It was a, a, a right. few things, but ultimately it was money. So what happened was I ended up giving our deal to someone. I'm just drawing a blank. I think it was, um, I'm pretty sure it was Stress Magazine. Remember Stress? Yes. I, I have issues, I think, still with Stress. When Stress first came out, it was around the same time that we were doing that Call the Middles feature one magazine. So I had reached out to Stress and I was talking to whoever was running Stress. And so when our deal fell through, I knew Stress was looking for national distribution. Right. So I connected them and then they got that deal. They got the deal that was supposed to be our deal because we couldn't do it. I'm pretty right. sure it was Stress. I, I, I don't want to, so if I, I could be wrong, so just say that I could be wrong. But like, but yeah, but I'm pretty sure it was Stress. It was like a few magazines I was working with at the time, but I'm pretty sure that was Stress who, it, 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 there should be like the, the third issue should say like Desert Moon Distribution that came from. Okay, that. yeah, because I know Stress that were a new magazine. L Elemental was another new magazine that was coming out at the time. Herb was kind of still new at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, so it was like, it was like, and I was talking to all those magazines at that time. That's why I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was stress. Yeah. All right, man. So, all right. So you talk about like uh, how you like were calling all these people, yeah. right? Like you found numbers and you would call. And that was kind of like my tactic. Like um, the source has this section called Independence Day. I don't know if you remember that they had they had Independence Day and they also had another section where they would specifically talk about a certain part all around the world. They go to a certain city and talk about like the hip hop culture. Right. So you're, you're, I like, remember you're to the street, I think it was called. I think I was here to the street. Yeah, that's it. You're to the street. You remember, man. So those were very instrumental in me and in, like finding artists and making connections. You know what I mean? And so I remember one of the source magazines uh, had a number for Rhyme Sayers Entertainment. Mm -hmm. And so I wound up calling it. I wound up speaking to Brent Sayers, you know. And we had a really good conversation. So he sent me out like a bunch of like material. He sent me like headshots, I think. Mm. Um, I think there's six headshots. One, he sent uh, Overcast from Atmo Atmosphere. He sent me uh, Beyond uh, Comparison album, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and then he sent me out this awesome catalog. 
yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. You got my nose. You know? Okay, yeah, you know? yeah. And so, like, I, I took that, and then, you know, he also sent me, like, this, like, flyer, you know, that, um... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That flyer, remember that flyer right there? Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And yeah. so, uh, and then I still even have the Source magazine that has the article. Oh, yeah, yeah, I got that one. Too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Remember that? All right. Yeah. I got that issue. So what yeah. I would do is, like, I, 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 uh... Asked the editor Israel if I can make like a or if he can make a like a press card for me so that way like you know people can know that I'm legit because I know I'm pretty sure back in the days people would call and be like yo send me stuff for free I'll, I'll review it and they never did so yeah. I had I had to make this for me and this is what I use as like a press like a press yeah. pass for Insomniac magazine back in oh. the day all right so um this was in ninety because this is before I joined the military in ninety eight so this was probably like ninety six okay maybe maybe ninety five ninety six so you had moved to, I believe, Minnesota in 2002. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, 2002. Okay, so your relationship with Rhyme Sayers, did that start after the mm -hmm. Caught in the Middle magazine? Like, yeah, is yeah. in that transition? So can yeah. you go into that? Like, from the magazine yeah, yeah. to Rhyme Sayers, how did, that, how did that happen? And then you moving, like, uprooting yeah. and going to Minnesota. For sure. Um, what happened was, in the late 90s, Few things. One, I was sort of like, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. I by this, but around '94, after Wild Style, I slowed down on searching for like a record deal, and that slowed down me making music. But I was still cared about being an artist. I still was making music, but this it was just for myself. I didn't record it. I didn't perform anymore. I didn't. I never performed after Wild Style, except for a couple of like guest verses. I never did. A, I've never done to my life. I've never done a solo show in my life to this day. I, after a while, I just lost the energy for performing. Right. Um, and so I was just doing kind of like this uh, slowly, just slowing down on making music. By '95, I stopped making. I stopped doing production too, because I had um, you know, Jell was my upcoming producer. And when Jell got so good, when he got his SP, I was like, okay, I got a guy this good. He's nasty, Jell. Um, I don't gotta make beats. So he right. like, you make the beats. I'll keep doing this managerial side or whatever so i had that and so i just stopped making songs it, it, every year it was just i was slowing down more and more and i was also just getting a, a little frustrated as, as, I, as i learned more about the industry i was getting more frustrated with it and just like i i knew that it wasn't really for me which is kind of funny that i would go for a record label but it's a little different you know with indie but um i, I was just like okay I'm, i need to figure out what i want to do and I was, you know, and I think a lot of us have this thing, not even just in music, but it's an ongoing thing in music or anything you're passionate about. If you're like a passionate about the arts, it's like, it's hard to make money there. And so you go through that time, like, can I continue doing this? Can I afford to, can I afford to do this? And so I had this deadline for me that by 33, I had to be some, I had to have, feel like I was on an established path. Like I am in a career at 33. Um, and so when I was in my late 20s, early 30s, I was like, okay, it's that time. It seemed far away when I said that when I was 18, 19, but now that time is here and I am not any closer. I've done a whole lot of work, but I'm not any closer to any definitive career. You're, you're not satisfied, essentially. Yeah, I, I, I'm not making any money from music. I'm not making right. any money from music. I mean, I got, okay, that's not true. I'm making some music from promotions, but I'm spending more money than I'm making for sure. I got gotcha. you. Like everything, I'm, I'm like maintaining my phone bill back then, long distance phone calls. Like I couldn't even pay my my phone bill got cut off. Like it was a, a thousands of dollars of phone, you know, bills that I had 
that I eventually never paid. That's what ruined my credit. The first thing that ruined my credit um, like was was that. So like, you know, all these things, right? And I was like, so I was like really thinking about, okay, maybe it's time that I just, all my friends were quitting making music and quitting and just getting jobs and just leaving it behind. I was like, well, maybe that's what I'll have to do too. So I was really kind of in that like, you know, uh, frustrated uh, moment. And I was, so I was like, well, it, also not really getting any opportunities here in Chicago, you know? And I was a part of that scene through, I was, even though I was living in the suburbs, I was a part of that scene through <clears throat> on the middle, through um, time travel. But in the late nineties, you know, I started, you know, I helped co-start Scribble Jam in Ohio. And so- Which, which I want to get into, but don't get into that. So real briefly, like, so like from that, I started seeing me get all kinds of opportunities from that, even I started getting more opportunities in Chicago because of that. I was like, and I thought right. that was funny. I was like, I was here already. And that was Scribble Jam before Rhyme Sayers? Yes. Okay, so yeah. then let's get into that though, before Rhyme Sayers, because I did want to ask you about- oh, No, 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 but, but, but it, it, it's going to get there. It's, <laughs> okay. it's going to get there naturally in the story. Yeah, it, it connects, it connects like everything. Do it, it my connects. brother, do it, my brother. Go ahead, so, I'm sorry. So like, no, no, you're good because you, you, how would you know that all these things connect so crazy? But like, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I'm kind of like, maybe it's time to, to move somewhere else. Cause I'm saying I, this is the first time I've been now in, I've been in Illinois since 85. And now it's like the, I, I've been there for 12 years. I've never lived anywhere more than like two years of my life. Now I've been somewhere for 12 years. And so I'm like, maybe it's time just to go somewhere different. So I was looking for somewhere to move. I was going to, I really, really was considering moving to Toronto. I have went to Toronto hip hop scene a few times in the mid 90s. It's dope. <laughs> and I know I was, I, I was connected with, I'm saying like, I did like a whole like documentary, like, I hung out with like Maestro Fresh West, Frankenstein, oh. Red Life. Search without the Redson. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, Thrust, Mishy Me, like the who's yeah. who of, of Toronto hip hop. I was Ra Rascals. With. Yes, all of them. I, I love got, the like, Rascals, bro. Got, like, Cash Crop, one of my favorite albums, Cash Crop, man. Oh, I love the whole movement. And I was yeah. there with a video camera capturing that movement. I went to the radio stations, the shows. I was interviewing artists. I was planning on moving to Toronto just to start new. I was looking for a new scene to be a part of. And did you do the documentary, by the way? No, I, I filmed it, but I never finished it. I have oh, you got it. to, bro, please. Yeah, I know, I know, <laughs> I know. I know. Um, and so, <clears throat> in all that, you know, um, I was looking for a place to like, you know, to live. And of course, you know, New York is a thing. Like, you know, like if you're hip hop, you had, especially back then, it was a, spe New York was special. Um, so we would go to New York, I would go to New York with friends when I could. And I did think about, can I live in New York? I was thinking about that, but I just didn't never seem that it would really be the place for me for expenses and a lot of things. So, but we would go to New York to like, you know, Rocksteady anniversary, our Zulu Nation anniversary. And so me and Jay Pratt, who I did the radio show with, Time Travel, um, we went to New York. And, you know, in New York, when you go to those events, you're getting all kinds of free stuff. People are giving you CDs and records all day. And right. honestly, a lot of times that free stuff, it wasn't the good stuff. It was just like, okay, not good. This okay, 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 okay. So we're coming back from New York and we're going through, we're, we're Pratt's house, going through our music, trying to figure out what we got free. And it's like, nah, I got that too. That wasn't that good. What'd you get? Nah, that was fine. He goes, I actually got one thing that's really good. I'm like, you got the only good thing? <laughs> okay. Well, let me hear. Yeah. I'm like, you know, that, that was just our relationship. We like, we like, give each other a hard time. I'm like, let me hear the one good thing that you got. You're so magically. Let me hear it. He's like, okay, Kevin. Okay. All right. 
So he plays it and it's overcast. The first song comes on, I'm like, wait, you got, I, I snatched it out of his hand. The cover. I was like, what is this? You got this in New York? He's like, yes, I got this in New York. I'm like, when? Where was I? How did I miss it? He was like, when we were leaving, when we were leaving, um, the um you know where, where the field whatever he's like someone just came by and randomly gave it to me he's like i remember them saying like it was the last one in the box it was the last one and he just wow. got it and there was a phone number i was like before that first song ended i was on the phone with brent i was like and i was like really this is how <laughs> brent's awesome bro Brent's no awesome. And this, is, this is how excited i was back then i could be so excitable to the point where it was like okay calm down you're just you're doing too much <laughs> i was just like hey you were giving out free cds in new york and somehow you missed me can you send it to me <laughs> <laughs> like, like like before i, I said it before how i realized how ridiculous it was yeah. he laughed because he really how ridiculous it was yeah. And he, he probably like, said, "Yeah, hell yeah." He's like, "Yeah, I can." You know, yeah. I was like, "Oh, I'm sorry. Like, I didn't. Yeah, I just, I, I really. This is, this is dope. I'm listening to the first song. That's all I heard. I know I want this. You know, I do the radio. So I told him about the radio show. He's like, "Well, I got this event coming up in a few weeks that I'm getting new stock for. So when I get that stock for this new event, you know, um, I'll send you a copy." I was like, "Cool." He's like, "I gave away all the ones, you know, in um, New York." Now later quick thing we later when I when I talked to Sadiq later Brent later I, I later learned that he remembers giving the CD to Jay Pratt he's like no I remember we were about to leave we were in New York too passing out CDs he's like we were in the car about to leave we had one box left and I was just like hey everybody hold tight I'm gonna go get rid of this last box right quick and then we'll leave and drive back to Minneapolis he got out of his car and he remembers like giving Jay Pratt that 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 last CD, whatever. He's like, no, I remember. I was like, stop like, like I was trying to figure out with this last one. Like, so he remembers specifically giving it to Pratt. So anyway, now back to this phone call. He's like, I got this event. I'm like, okay, that's cool. That's dope. By the way, what's the event you're doing? He's like, oh, this thing in Ohio called Scribble Jam. I'm like, I'm part of Scribble Jam. That's oh, my wow. That's my event. He's like, well, I'll see you next week. Like, I'll see you next week. So that was ninety. So that was ninety seven Scribble Jam. That's right. I, I had done ninety six. But 97 is when other people started coming. That's when, you know, that's when, you know, Eminem came, 97. Right. That's, Eminem. that's Juice. Rhyme Stairs came for the first time that year. So they had a merch table. I went there and met him like, <clears throat> CD, you know, <laughs> gave me the CD. You right. know, Sean didn't come that year, but Gene right. Poole and Musab came. Yeah. Beyond, then. Yeah, they, were, they were in the battle. Yeah, they were in that first battle at Scribble Jam. So, yeah, so like, the you know, the, they came with, um, they came with, uh, um, uh, sorry, my brain is locking right now. Idea? No, well, not idea wasn't uh, um didn't come with them yet, but they came with the, the battle cats, the, the breaking daylight in them. That's so the, they were in the for the right. The, so like, yeah, so they they were always traveling with like entourage. Who, like, who's their know? artist? They had they have an artist that uh was it uh, what's his name? Abuse, man? abuse, abuse is dope, man. That's a dope artist, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he does. Oh, he does. You see the stuff he does now. He does stuff now. It's crazy. He's nasty, bro. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 yeah, he's uh, Aaron Horky. Yeah, you go to go to Aaron Horky's um IG page. He's like the ill. Like, he's super ill. So that's how I met. So that's how I met. So basically, he gave me that record there. I started playing Overcast a lot on time travel, to the point where I had show promoters and DJs going, "Hey, what is this you're playing?" You know, 
they wanted to know more about atmosphere. Uh, Jay Bird was doing a mixtape and I would, I would record, I was like his engineer for his mixtapes. He was doing like these intricate four track mixtapes. DJ Bird is a pioneer of mixtapes. I, I, I say that, I, 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 that's an understated thing that doesn't get recognized. His like early mixtapes, how he did four track tapes, what we did in those tapes, right? A pretty, a pretty cutting edge. I think they're pretty cutting edge. And he did a tape called Beneath the Surface where he put Scapegoat on it. Yeah. Beneath the Surface, that was like a series, wasn't that? Beneath the Surface? Yeah, he, beneath, yeah. and it was Break the Surface, and then the other one he never did was what was going to be Beyond the Surface. He never finished right. that one. So he, he finished Beneath the Surface in order to go on, because he was going to go on tour with Rubber Room, take that tape. So that tape went to a lot of stores, including to DJ Eclipse, who we knew from promotions. Right. <laughs> so The connections, yes. <laughs> he, put, he put Beneath the Surface in Fat Beats. The mixtape in the stores. Right. Bird gets a call from Eclipse, like, "Hey, I'm selling your mixtape, and everyone that buys this mixtape is coming asking about this song, Scapegoat. Who was this? Who was this atmosphere?" So from there, Bird connected Eclipse with Rhyme Sayers. Right. Eclipse was like, "Do y'all do you have this on vinyl?" And they were like, "We don't have it on vinyl." Like, "Can you get it on vinyl?" They were like, "We can," and that's how it started Rhyme Sayers doing vinyl. And doing it with, with Fat Beats. Right. All from me and Bird doing this tape, Bird's tape, me helping out, Bird putting on a tape, Eclipse selling it, getting feedback. Boom. So That's all dope. those things is connected. And then now, so e- Eclipse is connected to nonfiction, correct? Right, right, yeah. right. Okay. So yeah, it was all those connections. So but but the how me and Bird know right. I did promotions for Wild Pitch in the night, you know, like so I did promotions <laughs> for like OCs, you know. The Times Up record, right. um, the first two coup records, um, you know, street. Main, main source was on Wild Pitch. Right. Yeah. So I, this, I did the second main source. I, I started right. doing them for that. So that, that 94, 95 era, Entice, I did promotions for Wild Pitch. And Eclipse worked for Wild Pitch. Wait, and that's how entice, I Entice, lower the booms? Uh, no, that's, in, that's intense. Intense. Um, intense okay. was like, that was like the the, the, the woman from um, the, the, the down south. Uh, she had the uh, hush hush tip with. with uh, Method Man. I, I don't remember. <laughs> she had a dope song before that, like a 90 called Black to the Point, like a, a social conscious track, enticed. And then she was part of Delhi Venoms with the Wu-Tang group. The, the, all the okay, so, okay, so she was part of that group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's how we knew Eclipse because he, he he worked for Wild Pitch. And, you know, Wild Pitch signed, uh, well, they signed Tony and Dave, who was all natural from Chicago. Yes. So that they, it never officially came out, but like, we knew Eclipse capital all of that. D, capital D, yeah, capital, capital D. D, yeah. Who now? Who's the Who's the lawyer for the Golden State Warriors? Yeah, wow, that's all that connection. But... Who just started a record label? Who signed Juice and Ryan Fest through Golden State? Oh, Warriors. really? They just, yeah, they just started a new record label. Have, the, the Golden State Warriors record label. Yeah, yeah no he, way. Yeah, he just posted about that. Like it's been in a while, but like Capital D just posted about you know the, the plan for the label like today or yesterday about the, the, the unveiling. That's dope, yeah. man. So yeah, all those connect, and so and like Capital D was. The judge at 97 Scribble Jump. He's one of my judges. Okay. All right. I'm saying the connections are just, yeah, 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 right? yeah. It, it connects forever. So, like, so Scribble Jam connected me with Rhyme Sayers. You know, I mean, we connected obviously through, which is funny because when I got on, when I got brought on <laughs> to help out with Scribble Jam, I was like, yeah, I want to do, I want to take what I've experienced at Rock Steady right. and do something different, but also, you know, that and more. And of so, course, so Scribble Jam was already established and they just brought you in or were you part of the process of creating Scribble Jam? 
that's a whole other crazy story. So go ahead. Jail. <laughs> so jail. So right. So right. like so um jail was in high school when I was I was like, you know, mid-20s. He's in high school. By now, I am burnt out on helping out groups. Like every group I tried to help up to that point ended up quitting rapping after a few years or not taking it serious as me or whatever. We just didn't get any traction with a label. One of the three things happened. So I was like burned out. I'm like, I'm never managing another artist in my life. So one was one of the groups epicentral by any chance? That I didn't manage them, but Jell did um, produce okay. them. So like that, that was, so like through, I was managing Jell. So like through that, I was like, you know, helping out with, you know, I, that, that was kind of the era where he was kind of breaking out on his own and didn't need me anymore. I got Most you. people got in the place where they didn't need me. I was never like, I, I use the term artist manager loosely. I was just like, I'm there for you as long as you need me. And then I, I never, and that's the thing, I never, and that's, that's pros and cons. Cause that's part of why, you know, I probably could have been in a better place financially if I just thought about it differently. But I was just always, it was just, it was for the love. It was for the love, right. Yeah, and I, I don't regret that. It's like business. I, I have like some things like, I wish I would have done a little differently, yeah. but whatever. So basically, what was I going into? So the gel. Gel oh, and Scribble Jam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, is, he, had, he had this high school rap group called Mental Block. B-L-O-K-C, because it's, you know, the rap spellings. And... They were called lyrical minutes at first. And so I already I, I was like, I'm not managing any more groups. But one day I come home to my voicemail. And this is the, the day is the answer machine. And this is voicemail. Bugs me out. This is a dude. And he goes, Hey, this is this is Diallo, the vibe of the lyrical menace. And we're coming. We're coming. And we got the illness. And then a little beat played with a scratch. And then it hung up. And that was it. And I was like, what the hell? Wow. Like, Talk about earworm. <laughs> yeah, I was like, so, I, so every day I come home like, that no new message. No, I'm waiting for the, to know what the lyrical menace <laughs> message is. So after I don't know how long it was, it felt like forever. I finally get a second message from the lyrical menace asking if I will meet with them about their group. I'm too intrigued not to meet with this group. <laughs> how it was. So we go meet at one. I think it's at uh, Diallo's house. It's three MCs and then Jill. He's a producer and a DJ. And just be, and I was like, okay, what did you um? make these beats on he's like oh just this mixer i'm like well you made these beats on a new mark mixer he's like yeah so I, you know i'm like okay all right i'm about to break my rule what do y'all want you know so i was like i agreed <laughs> to like manage them right so i was just so impressed with like how they like how they got my attention the music and then how 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 great gel was with a toy i mean a, a mixer i mean like he wasn't I was really bugged out of how he was, and also like that their, their their main song was called Music Maker, and it samples Parliament, but in a way, in a thing, I was like, I didn't even, I would have never known that was Parliament. So it was like all these layers of why I was like, okay, this group is special. All right, and all the MCs were different. They all had like and, and the name of the group was Lyrical Menace. They were Lyrical Menace, and then it became Mental Block when I started. When I started, they were Lyrical Menace before. And right. then when I started management, they, they became mental block by their own accord. That was and they did, did they release anything or no? No, but I got I have some demos of theirs. I can I can send you something. Bro, you're gonna send me your whole catalog. I'm just letting you know. All right, I'll, I'll send you whatever. I'm but I, you I got stuff too, so just let me know and I'll send yeah. you stuff away. But bro, no, I will. I'll send some gems. I got some gems. You're kind of like Ralph McDaniels, you know. I know Ralph McDaniels oh, yeah, has yeah, a yeah, vault yeah. of, of oh, videos yeah. that nobody's ever seen before, know. man. You know. I want to one day, yeah. It's like one day. Let me see the vault. Yeah, yeah yes. Yeah. I want to see everyone's vault. I want to see. Bad, brother. Oh, you're good. So, 
so yeah, so like, um, so one of them, <laughs> okay, <laughs> one. Of the, so the, so the MCs are Diallo, MC Brand, MC Brand was dope. So natural MC, and then there was um Vibe, who was like more like the abstract and like kind of the thinker of the group, and then there was um Chanel went by MC What. He was kind of like just like he had this like personality. He brought a lot of personality to the group and it's something a special vibe too he had a, a certain kind of personality they, they were all different and it, it made it work and chanel mc what his cousin is um in tag team the group that made whoop there it is yeah so at a family reunion he talked to this cousin and i can't remember the name unfortunately but somehow how it came back to us was, hey, my cousin's got this hit record. He has a studio in Atlanta. If we go to the studio, we can record for free. Wow. And we're like, okay. That's right. rare. <laughs> now, I'm a skeptic. I'm just like, okay, let me, can we talk to this? And he's like, and, and he got, and they, they got kind of upset me. Like, I know what I'm doing. It's my cousin. I handle this. All we got to do is go there. I'm like, I'm like, well, we got a studio here for free. You know, we, it didn't seem like, I'm like, but what exactly is it going to be? That we're gonna go there for, but they just ganged up on me like with well, many of the rappers, not 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 jail. You're our manager. You're supposed to do. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I'm like, at, I'm like, at the worst, it's a trip to Atlanta, right? A new place Atlanta. to go and chill. Yeah, exactly. So I went to the car. We did this road trip to Atlanta for spring break. We get there now. Week before that, a few weeks before that trip, I'm reading Rap Pages magazine. And they would have this 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 um this uh section where they would feature a DJ. I think this is actually the section that might have came after they read caught in the middle. I could be wrong though. But um, but they would feature a DJ about their and then they would ask them um about a mixtape, and then they would ask them what the top their favorite five records in their collection were. And so this DJ, they're reviewing their mixtape, and then when they asked them the top five records. One of the records was Grand Mixer DST, the song Grand Mixer, which is one of my all time favorite songs that no one ever talks about but me for the most part. So for someone else to be like, that's their, I'm like, okay, I have to know this person. Right. It was a number. So I called it. Right. That was Mr. Dibs. And that was oh, the hobo So yeah. I called Mr. I'm like, yo, I need to hear this. Like, if you're a fan of, a fan of Grand Mixer, I need your mixtape. How can I send me your mixtape? Send me as many as you can, and I will spread them around throughout Chicago. He's like, I'm making more now. The rap pages thing had kind of like, you know, I, I sold out, but I'll make more. I'll send them to you. He never did. So now here we are. Weeks gone by. We're in Atlanta. We get there. We're like, Chanel, call your cousin so we can go to the studio and make rap songs. He goes to call this cousin who is on tour. He's not there. And we finally learned that actually he did it. There was a loose conversation with his cousin, apparently, but nothing official. But he kind of figured if we just ended up showing up, that his cousin would feel kind of pressured to, to let you guys do it. <laughs> but he wasn't even there. Right. <laughs> so once everyone learned that, the rappers were so upset that they just ended up arguing the whole time we were there. Me and Joe were just like, whatever, we're going to enjoy this moment. Right. So as we're about to drive home, and we've been hearing them argue there because they were like so upset, the rappers. Um, as we're looking at the, you know, this is still we got the Atlas in the car. I got a big yeah. giant. 
I'm looking at the Atlas and I'm so, and they're arguing in the back and I'm like, so, I'm like, y'all shut up, please. I can't concentrate. <laughs> and as I'm being annoyed and looking at the Atlas, I realize I'm like, huh? And they're like, what? I'm like, if we were to go about probably like a few hours out of our way, we could stop by Cincinnati. And they're like, what? For what? Cincinnati? <laughs> I'm like, someone owes me a tape. <laughs> and this trip was basically a waste. I'm going to make it not a waste for me. And I'm going to go pick up my tape. We're going to drive three or four hours out of the way to get my tape. And I was like, the way how you had me drive here and didn't even conf conf uh, confirm that we could go in the studio, I'm not going to call dibs. I'm just going to drive to Cincinnati and hope he's home. If he's there, he's there. If not, he's not. We'll see what happens. And they were, and that made them be quiet. They were so mad at me. <laughs> they were so mad at me. So we drove to Ohio. And literally, I got to a pay phone. I didn't know where he lived. I just drove, I just drove to Ohio. I just drove to Cincinnati. I had no idea. I didn't know his address or anything. I didn't, all I had was his phone number. Right. I drove to Cincinnati, called his house. His then wife answered the phone and was like, I'm like, is Dibs home? And she's like, no, he's doing a show. I'm like, oh, okay. Where's the show at? And she's like, here's the show is here. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to the show. I'm going to get my tape. <laughs> I go to the show, park in the parking lot. And before I get out the car, I remember saying this out loud. I'm like, whatever is happening here, I want to be a part of it. Because it was the first time I had ever, like, I had been to Rocksteady. I had been to Zulu. So I had seen like cultural events in hip hop. But I had never been anywhere where I saw everything happening at the same time in front of my eyes. All the four elements? It was like, it was from my car in the parking lot, I could see two DJs, four turntables. In front of them was Linonium with breakers, people breaking. In between the, that was MCs on the mic. And behind that was people painting on the wall. Wow. I was, I was seeing the painting, the dancing, the MCing, and DJing and the fan on looking all at once from my car in the parking lot. And I said, I have to be a part of whatever's happening here. That was the scribble is a magazine is a graffiti magazine. That was the scribble jam first issue release party in oh. March, of, March of 96. Right. So I went to the scribble. So I, I literally got out of the car, got out of the car. I walked right up to dibs. Skip was DJing. Dibs was standing there for a second. I just stood and looked at him. I was like, Dibs? He's like, yeah. I'm like, Kevin Beecham, where's my tape? That's literally my, that is literally what I said to him. He's like, what? I was like, never know my tape. I'm here for my tape. He's like, you drove here? I'm like, I drove here for my tape. Yes, I drove. He was like, you're, he's like, you're crazy. I got you. So we stayed, hung out. Now, by now, the MCs, the MCs from Middle Block are happy. They're rapping on the mic. They're freestyling. Whatever we stay, and then afterwards we they had got hotels. We went back, and they were like, "That was dope." We want to do a bigger one in the summer. I was like, "I'll bring Chicago." Yeah, so that's you, how I got you, you had Chicago, yeah. And so that because I was like, "I'll promote it on my radio show, whatever." So that's how I got involved with Scribble Jam. I was just yeah. I just happened to drive there for the most ridiculous reason to get a tape. Right. Drove three or four hours out of the way, and that happened to be the day. That was a premiere party for Scribble Jam magazine. Like, what are the chances? And the culture in Ohio is so dope. Like, the artists that have come out of Ohio, 
yeah. greenhouse effect and all them dudes man it's so dope man megahertz all them yeah yeah no yeah so that's all that, that was just this is just my story just me just going full steam ahead with passion and then things right. like this happening every everything that I ever everything i've ever done is a combination of hard work and then just like the being in the right place at the right time that's why i always say like it's about like you know i, I i'm forgetting i haven't said it in a while but i have this like the the four p's like presence being present persistent patient like you know i, I like those I got are, you man those yeah. are like the that is like the the mantra for how like i've been successful it's like those things those like kind of those, the three p's i think it's four but those are the three right now but oh, perception four Perception. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so like, like those, like those things are like how everything took place with like those four P's basically. Yeah. All right. So then, so you, you're, so then essentially you're, you're helping them create Scribble Jam. Yeah. Then during that time, you go to New York, you get a, 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 a your boy gets a CD that has atmosphere. You call yeah. Sadiq. Yeah. All right. So what happens? So, um, what happens is like, you know, um, so Jay Bird is managing Rubber Room. He was their manager. Um, and they're like now starting to get some tension nationally. Record labels are trying to sign Rubber Room. There's like kind of like you know, I don't know, bidding war might be a little dramatic, but there's different labels trying to sign Rubber Room, right? And they end up going with Subverse and Three Two One um, for a record deal for the Arc Technology record, and they're going to go on tour. Um, because of that whole like scapegoat thing and a connection with um, Overcast, uh, Bird decide. So we start deciding to swap shows with Minneapolis. So we're like, we come to Minneapolis to check out a, a Rhyme Stairs show. And like, it was, a, I remember the show we came to, I could, oh, I could tell you the dates in October of 97. I'm pretty sure it's October like 17th. I don't know, whenever, October of 97. We come to our first time to Minneapolis, me, Bird. Uh, I think this is me and Bird the first time. Maybe, maybe DJ Spontaneous came that first time too. But, um, that show was um headshots it was like i think um the native ones played later on los nativos you know they were the native ones right. still then um and uh, i can't remember gene pool gene pool i think gene pool played but i can't remember if he, i can't remember if it was like with um the group full circle or it was like a solo i can't remember what he did full circle I, I think, was dope yeah yeah but i think but gene pool played in some capacity i think that night but anyway the headliner was j live they brought in j live that's dope. Yeah. And they had this guy, Absolute, who was, if you know Absolute, this yeah. He didn't do much, but that night he blew my mind. It's one of like the most my favorite stories of a live show is that Absolute that night. And also J Live. That was like a really big so that's how I got interested in Rhyme Savers, going to that show to see it as far as seeing it live. So after seeing it live and seeing how the city was behind them, I was like, okay, there's something there. So he decided, how can we swap shows? How can we get Chicago groups to come play Minneapolis and get Minneapolis to come play right. Chicago? So uh, was, was the abstract pack pack a part of that as well or no? They weren't. By the time we got there, there they had already split, I think. Okay. I think because I was like, no, yeah, nine seven eight, 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 that that's what already happened because they, they'd already because they'd already split before the tape history. When they made the history tape, they got back together for that tape because of the right. passing, uh, you know, of um of of, of Cess. Right. So, they, they, they were dope. I like the abstract pack. No, yeah, they were dope for sure. So, so like, so it, it was just like, yeah, it came together like that. So, like, you know, we um started swapping shows, and then from us swapping shows and bringing atmosphere, <clears throat> and, you know, beyond to Chicago, and also me playing them on the radio, other promoters started being interested. So they started getting booked for other shows because of that. So basically, 
And then they went on tour with Rubber Room. Jay Bird managed the tour, and it was Rubber Room and Atmosphere. Um, on that tour, <clears throat> Rubber Room broke up. Atmosphere wouldn't keep on touring. So Jay Bird continued touring with Atmosphere. And so eventually that led to him getting a job at Rhyme Sayers. Wow. Um, then like <clears throat> we used to do these shows, me and Bird would do these shows at the Metro in Chicago. Well, we were some of the, we were, we were kind of instrumental in like doing like um, independent hip hop shows at the Metro, especially ones that sold out, you know, like, like we kind of set a, a, a we opened the door for that to be a, a thing, I think. Not that we were the first, but we but we were helped pioneer in this in that particular uh mid to late 90s era. We helped bring a new era of that, whatever. Um, and a lot of those we did bring rhyme sayers groups. And so um through all that, basically, you know, like you know, one day one of those metro shows, Sadiq just came up to me. He was like, Hey, just want to let you know we really appreciate you helping out, like, you know, from like, you know, playing the music on the radio, swapping the shows, the different things like you, you know, these things have like have, you know, Chicago became like their biggest market outside of Minneapolis, you know, and that was largely because of the things that Bird and I were doing. And so he was like, you know, if we ever get big enough to hire someone else, I want to hire you next. At the time, that was just a, a kind gesture. I, I, I had pretty much zero percent belief there would ever be a real thing. I'm like, every indie label I ever called and knew had two employees. Right, because they didn't have they didn't have a lot Everyone of money. Staff. And the people who and the ones that had staff burned out within a year. Yeah. They because they ended up not being able to maintain that. So I just thought that's a very kind thing for this person to say it's never going to be anything. And now mind you, now I am 32 years old and my goal of having a career plan by 33 is not going that well you know and the whole thing like in this because show you I'm, I'm always like some kind of weird creative 33 was because 33 and a third record i was like hey, if i ain't by, by 33 and a third I'm not, I'm not in this then it ain't meant to be right <laughs> so when i was 32 probably like i don't know six to eight months from being 33 I, I, I was already making my transition like i was working at target as a manager and they had been asking me to be an executive for years, and I had turned down being executive. Right. And now I was in the pro process of becoming executive at Target because I was like, you, okay. you were being faced with something real, like yeah, tangible. Because like, my, my daughter was my, my my daughter was now like seven, eight years old, you know. Right. So like you know, I'm like, okay, I gotta, I'm gonna take this executive position, and I just do rap on the side. I'm still gonna be passionate about it. Right. But like literally, like six months six months before that, I got a random call from Sadiq and like, hey, that job I mentioned, do you want it? I'm like, for real, a real a job in rap? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, well, I was like, of course. So 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 Rhyme Sayers <clears throat> paid to move me to Minneapolis. They moved me to Minneapolis. I moved there because they brought me there to work there. That's dope. Yeah. So that and, and I, I had no I, I literally when I took the job, I'm saying when I when I accepted the job, and even when I moved to Minneapolis, we never discussed what I was doing. I didn't even think about it. Wow. I know what my job was going to be. I, I, I'm saying is I had no idea about, I mean, I knew a little bit about record labels because of what I had done and working for, but I just thought like at an indie label, we all just did everything. I didn't even think to think, what's my job? Like my job was to do whatever we need done. Right. That's basically what it boils down to. Yeah. Like, so my first day there, like he was, you know, Sadiq was busy. So I just, I was just sweeping the floor and cleaning up the basement. 
And that was sort of like, okay, okay, I'm down to do whatever. And so that's it, it all started from that. And so like it was just like, you know, like, and then I eventually, you know, you know, got different positions in the company. Yeah, yeah. I got you. Are you still with them or yeah, yeah. yeah. That's awesome, dude. All right. So let's 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 do like a little like time travel. Okay. So after the whole rhyme sayers thing, I know that there was a time where I guess you hit a wall and you left the country. So between the rhyme sayers thing and the pre-pandemic, recent pandemic, can you fill in those blanks of what happened? Yeah. So like how I told you when I was about to leave Chicago, I was trying to think about living in Toronto and the things weren't going right. Correct. I've been there for so long. I was like, okay, here I'm again. Like I, now, I've now, now Minneapolis is the place I've lived the longest. Now you know, like I, I never growing up, I never lived somewhere longer than two years for the most part, two three years I think the most, until I moved to Illinois and I lived there for like 15 years. And then around the time I was, I think I was like maybe like 15, 16 years in the Minneapolis. I was like, maybe it's this time for a new scenery. Maybe this is, maybe I've done all I can do here. And I was just in a frustrated state, different thing where like, you know, like, you know, when you put, yeah, you do it all for the love. Right. This is when you start learning about, maybe that's not a great way to say it because it's not all for the love. You might well, do it for well, Kevin, primarily for the love. Let's be real too. The culture changed. It went in a really, it changed drastically and it went in a really different direction. Yeah. Uh, because hip hop always goes through these different changes, but I, I feel like there's still some sort of control that that individuals can still have within that culture. Oh yeah, and for I sure. Felt like the control was gone. Yeah, you started. You, you, I, and that was kind of. I started to feel like I was feeling that in so many ways, like from like DJing, and I feel like you know it, it used to be like in Minneapolis this rich DJ culture, and like you know, you know, every night we were all going out just playing whatever you wanted to play. You never knew who was going to do what, but then it was like, everyone was just playing the same thing. Most DJs was like, oh, because it, because that's what the, the venues wanted. That's what got you the most, the, the most money. And it wasn't just Minneapolis. I'm just saying that I learned that was happening no, was worldwide. Yes, yeah. Worldwide. So DJing got, I was like, okay, in order to DJ, I got to do this. I don't want to do that. Oh, in order to do this, I got to do that. I don't want to do that. So I just start stop doing things. And I didn't even think about it, but like, you know, when I was a kid, I struggled with, um, before I really got into hip hop, I struggled with depression. And I struggled with even like uh, uh, thoughts of suicide when I was really young. I didn't realize this until I was much younger, but pretty much those things went away when I discovered hip hop in stages. Like when, when in 82, when I recorded myself the tape for the first time, that was literally the end of me uh, uh, feeling like suicidal thoughts. I still was depressed though. Right. But I, I just I, I at least had something to when I felt that I could go create and make music and I could feel good. Um then when I was 14 and 15 with the 3D crew, I started performing and making actual songs in the studio. When I started doing that, depression went away. I didn't have depression all that time. I was performing in all the time I was performing and making songs and going to the studio and battling, I never had depression. I never made this connection to years after the fact. Right. But when I stopped making music in the 90s, the depression came back. Right. I never made this connection. So like, so basically going all that, that phases and like here I am now in the, you know, and now I'm in the, you know, um, 
2015 or whatever. And I'm just, I have all this frustration. I've stopped DJing. Um, I haven't made music in, you know, 15 years, you know what I'm saying? Um, all these things and, I, and nothing is really going right in my life. Like, you know, it's like nothing is, every, everything's a struggle. Everything's a challenge. I'm like, I need something to be not that. And I wasn't finding it. So I was like, I need to just escape. And so I was planning on moving, leaving the country and never coming back, disappearing. I, my plan was to leave the country, get off social media and never be heard from again. That was literally my plan. Right. That was, and I was just like working towards that. Um, like I even status. Talk, <laughs> yeah, I even had talks with my family, like I might not ever come back. So we should enjoy this time because I might not. Like I, like I was serious about it. Right. Um, and so, um, and I had an interest in going back to like Europe because I was born in Germany and you know, I was born in Germany and like, and I lived there for so long. And I was like, let me just try to go back and retrace some of those steps and try to figure out, I want to understand who I am more. And so like, you know, I gave away most of my possessions that time. I gave away stuff from my music collection. I kept my music collection, put that in storage, but I gave away most everything else, furniture, car, everything. I just gave all that stuff away um, and quit my job and everything. And it's like, went for it. I was like, I'm just going to go figure out me. Right. And, the, and then it's just funny that through that is when I started examining my past and that's my like oh i've always only had depression when i'm not being creative every time i stop creation and that's when i feel anxiety and depression like every so i'm like i should start doing something creative and i hadn't decided what it was i didn't I, even then i didn't think about making music i thought oh i should dj more so i thought i started making mixtapes again like okay maybe that'd be it and that helped a little bit but that wasn't it so that so it was like really i just kind of refound that so basically yeah i went that whole like going away was supposed to be like me just going away finding a where i can go and never and disappear right. but it ended up becoming a thing where i went away and found out who i was and came back to be who i am like oh i, I want to create because i think what it was is that you you had a void you didn't know particularly what that void was but it took yeah. for you to go away find yourself and find out what that void was and now you're refilling that void again yeah, no, ex that is exactly it. Like, you know, and I never would have guessed any of that. Like, if you would have told me five years ago that I'd be making music right now, I, I would I would laugh at you. I would, but now I, now it's the main, it's like all I want to do. Right. It's, it's and, I'm saying, and, I, and, 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 and no illusions about it being like some big thing or making money. I have no, I, I, I it's not that I'm doing it again. It's that fine line. I'm doing it for the love and for the self therapy. But of course, I also want people to enjoy it. You know, yeah, correct. But, but you know, but like you know, but like even when even like the fact that I'm like you know like I don't know hardly anyone's listening because there's so much music out there. That doesn't discourage me. Right. That right. doesn't discourage me. The fact that there's only ten people listening or whatever that doesn't discourage me. I'm like, oh, ten people. Well. I got I got more for you, ten. <laughs> ten is better than zero. Trust me, man. Trust yeah, me. It's like, that, no. That's my whole thing. Is it's like, oh, as long as there's like someone yeah. that wants to hear right. it. Right. Like, if it was, I, I think I would struggle if it was like literally only me that wanted to hear it. <laughs> if I was the only person that was like, <laughs> then I'd be like, oh, maybe I should stop. But as long as it's like, oh, there's ten people. Right. I don't know. Then, yeah, I, I'll do this forever.
So, yeah. Well, you're an artist and that's what artists do. We create. And uh, I, I always tell this to, to other artists that I've had conversations with, like an artist doesn't create something, let's say a painter, and then throw it in his closet for nobody else to look at. He, he'll even take negative, you know, feedback from it just as long as he shows it to somebody and he gets something out of it. You know, yeah. and you're an artist at your core and that's what it is. You can't be away from art because that's just who you are. You're an artist and you have to just create. And that's when the depression and all the fucked up shit come in, comes in is when you're not creating. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's funny because it's so obvious. I have no idea why I didn't connect it. Because we're human and we're dumb, bro, sometimes, you yeah, know? I know? Yeah, because it's like, yeah, it's just so wild. Like, it was like, how did I not recognize that when it stopped and when it started and what was, yeah, so like, so yeah, it was really, like, and obviously everyone can't have that, I mean, everyone could, I guess, have that freedom to quit your job and give away possessions and do that. Like, I was just in a position, like, you know, being single, which is part of my frustration is like, you know, I don't, I'm not, I'm not single by choice per se, but oh like, gosh. you know, but like, you know, it's all those things, but like, okay, it sort of led me down that path, but I never, I had no idea that that path was going to lead me here. And, but it, it, it's exciting. All right, brother, you want to have some, some fun here? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what I'm going to do is um, I wrote a list of some artists. They're not all from Midway. You know, they're mixed up. But you have so many connections that I'm pretty sure there's not going to be an artist that you're not going to know. OK. okay. And I just kind of want to know, like, do you have a connection with them? Do you know if they're still doing stuff, if they have anything coming out? Um, the first one would be uh, he's from from Chicago. Uh, Taiwan Davis. Ah, I'm a big Taiwan fan. He's man. dope. Yeah. That's why. Yeah, he's dope. He, he um. It's funny. He's one of those artists, like you know, I, you know, it's it's so difficult to stay current with stuff these days, man. So right. like, you know, I, I try to, like, you know, like, he's one of those people who I was always a fan of in Chicago. He did like that, that, what's that? The Progress record he had. Oh man, he's as a producer and MC. He, I like Taiwan because he doesn't sound like he didn't like you know. There was like kind of like a, a few different like Chicago sounds, and right. like, and usually a lot of artists fit into one of those three or four boxes. I didn't, I feel like he had he had his own kind of unique thing to how he did it, even in his own crew he was unique. So like, yeah. So I'm a big fan of Taiwan Davis, and um, but he's one of those artists that like over like the last few like probably like last year sometime I guess. I was just like you know what's he been working on? And I went to his band camp and like found a bunch of albums. I, I like what? So like yeah, yeah. I did proud of. But no, he's like super, he's super dope. And yeah, Taiwan he, is dope. All right, so this I, I like him because he, he's also one of those guys who's like who's like found a way to make it work like he would he toured on his own and he kind of followed the ethos of some of those groups that were like this diy to the force. Yes. i respect him for that as He's well a diy uh artist for sure yeah no that's a dope person <laughs> yeah. all right so th this this is a group okay. but they they i don't know if they split up for anything negative but i know that they split up and then there was an mc that kind of rose out of that slaughterhouse five mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That demo, uh, demos, uh, EP Pentagon Destructo Factor was freaking awesome, but yeah. um, I got to build with uh, Lord Three Sixty, who I, uh, Chris, who I think he's he's an awesome dude. But do you know what? What, what do you? What can you tell us about Slaughterhouse Five? Slaughterhouse Five is one of those groups, like in like '99 or 2000, I started getting some demos. Um, dope man i was like what these these guys like they were all dope all like different and had dope production i, I can't remember how i first it's one of those things it was like so much happening but they had one of the one of the producers they worked with was uh tack food right they worked with tack yep. food tack food from iowa yes yeah and tack yeah. food used to come to scribble jam so i yes. i feel like I, i'm 
I might have first heard from from Takfu with Scribble, or it's like around the same time Takfu gave me something, and then they came by the station. Yeah. But no, I was a big fan of Slot House Five. Like you know, like and then when Laura Three Sixty that solo twelve inch that Hail to the Prophet single. Yeah, Hail to the Prophet. Yeah, that was yeah. That it, I don't. I can't talk about it, man. That, that you know, that's so dope, Yo, bro. As a producer and an yeah. MC, like yeah. he was like one of my favorites for a while. Like in my lat, in my in, on the tail end of my time in Chicago, there was a handful. Of, I, I, you know, I was planning on starting a record label, and I was looking for artists. And like he was one of those artists, I was like, I would love to work with Lord Three C. I don't even yeah. know if I ever told him that, but I know I, I'm pretty sure he knows I'm a big fan. I told him, I, "Hell to the Prophet" was one. Like when that came out, I played that song like on rotation on yeah. Like, travel. Like I, I, there's know. another song called "Hardened Arteries," which is really yeah. dope. No, every song he did was dope. Like yeah. everything he everything that he ever did was dope. He dropped two albums and then um he kind of did the same thing almost like J Treads. He just decided to go I, I don't know if he went educational cuz I know J Treads became a teacher, but he just dropped his his last second album, I think it's called The Anomaly, and that was yeah. it. You know? Yeah, I, and, uh, and he was a, he, he's like a dope visual artist too. He's like a, just a very talented dude. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he had like a rock band too. He had like a like a rock band something like that too. I think because he like he was doing. Yeah, he's just like one of those dudes. that's like everything he did, he was talented at. Right, anything he touched, bro, was was yeah. was awesome. All right, so we already talked about all natural. Yeah, but I don't know. Does anything you want to add about all natural? I'm a big all natural fan. Um, so many great memories of all natural. Like we we hung out a couple of times. I think we even went went on a couple of road trips together. Um. Yeah, and Cap D's just like a super ill MC, yeah, man. So I'm I'm a, I'm a huge Cap D fan, like just as a right. And Tom, I'm, I'm just a really big fan. I have a lot of great memories. I could tell so many all natural stories. So like, yeah, just, I'm a huge fan. <laughs> all right, I got you, I got you. All right, so this next dude, I have friends that are really big fans of this guy. And I remember seeing his first video. Okay, so, you know, you had Rap City, right? Mm-hmm. BET's Rap City, and then you had Yo! MTV Raps. Now, Yo! MTV Raps, I liked more because of Ed Lover and Dr. Dre. And every once in a while, they would sprinkle like independent or underground rap here and there. Yeah, yeah, but it was yeah. Rap City a lot, played a lot of like underground stuff, like shit like Saphir with like the 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 yeah. light Ice sleepers out, all that. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. this dude, uh, a lot of my a lot of my friends like, and that's EC Illa. What do you know about EC Illa? He's dope. You want to know something crazy? Go ahead, brother. You're gonna you'll be one of the first to know this. I just finished the project called Stream of Competence. Solo okay. album. It's all ECLA beats. He produced it all. It's all, wow. it's, you know, he he's a dope producer too. Yeah, he is always, definitely. Yes, always been a fan of the production. I hit him up to see if he was still doing beats, and he's not doing beats right now. So he basically gave me permission to use any of his beats from his instrumental series for an album. And so I, so he, so I, he let me pick whatever beats I wanted from there. And so I did. I did twelve songs that all EC beats that is coming out later this year. Yeah, yeah. He's doing good. Yeah, he's doing. Yeah, he's doing good, yeah. man. Yeah, like, and EC is like. Yeah, man, he's like, he was inspiration for me because in Chicago, he was the one that I like. A lot of artists were like chasing record deals, whatever. Like, and I was one of those artists chasing record right. deals for me and my artists. And he was just like putting out his own on music. his own. Yeah, he was doing everything himself. I, 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 and I'm saying like he did the records. You know, he had his own record store. The tip, you know, the tip was one of the sponsors for time travel. Like he sponsored the radio show. Um, yeah, so me and EC got a long history. Like he would come down to the show and freestyle. Like he'd make sure I had all the music all the time. Um, he would connect me with other people. Yeah, so like yeah, EC, I'm a huge fan of him as an MC. I liked him because he um he always rapped about like a lot of production stuff. 
So he'd be rapping about sampling and truncating. So right. I, I, I love I love when rappers have like sample based lyrics. Right. And then he also would like uh, he would like shout out like <laughs> underground. He, he like he in a rhyme he shouts out like uh, Castle D. I'm like no one talks about Castle D. <laughs> me and EC and maybe a right. few more people. So right. I was a, I was a fan of I was a I was a fan of the way he was a fan of hip hop. Right. Okay. So I'm awesome, a fan of in, his, in, in many different layers. Layers. Yeah. Yeah. Big. So this next group, I heard about them from uh, an advertisement that Rhyme Sayers did because I guess they were doing a show in Chicago and they had this group on there. But but like this is pre-internet, right? Before everybody and their grandmother had internet. So I always want to know, damn, who is this fucking group? And I couldn't find it. And eventually when I finally got a computer and I was able to get on Napster, I was able to find it. But this group is called Epicentral. And they had like that jousting a uh, single that had a, a couple of other tracks, but they're a dope group. What, what can you tell me about them? So when, when I started doing time travel and that show started to build popularity, it became like a, and, and it, it, here's the thing. A lot of shows didn't, I had like, I had a, I didn't have a quite an open door policy, but I had a fairly, you could come down to the show. Right. And you could give me music. I, I wouldn't necessarily play it. If you brought it, I might want to listen to it first. Um, but you could come down to the show. You could hang out. Um, you could give me music. If I wasn't doing a special theme and you stay to the end of the show, you probably could freestyle. Even if I never heard you rap before, if you happen to be there at the end of the show, I would, I would let anyone rap. Even they were like, even if you said you never rap before, I'm like, if you want to rap now, you can rap right now. That's dope. <laughs> it was just like, I had like, and that wasn't normal. Like a lot of shows didn't like, you couldn't bring, you couldn't, they wouldn't play your demos. They wouldn't let you in the station, whatever. So I, it, so that was kind of a thing because of that, as that spread it around, spread around um, any given week, you would have different artists come by the show. And also around the same time, you know, uh, Coney Rock was a dude doing a lot of like filming. He was a, 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 a B-boy in Chicago, but he also was a documentarian filming. He was doing a Chicago hip hop documentary. And he would do a lot of his filming and connections by hanging out at time travel. That's how I met a lot of artists. So it was like a lot of activity in this time period of the late 90s happening at the time travel show. And somehow through that, I believe is how I, it's funny. I just recently heard this story. I, Maker, Maker from the producer from Chicago, just recently told me the connection between how Jail and Epicentral connected. And I'm just forgetting right. the story. But it's somehow through because Maker, Maker came down, he had TBA. And he was giving me stuff, and I was a big fan of the, the TBA I, stuff. I was just gonna bring up them bad apples, bro. With them bad apples and costume. I was a big fan of costume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, it, it somehow through all that, they were connected with Epicentral, and that's how I believe that. So somehow through that connection, it's how Jail, like Jail, met them independent of me. But that could just mean that a lot of times groups would like those guys would come down to time travel, and I met them and I know them, but they always came when I was doing the show. And anyone would tell you when I, when I was on the show, I was focused. Right. You could come to the show and be there for an hour and I might only say hello to you. Right. Because you're like, I'm like tunnel vision. The, <laughs> the people who worked on the show, my co-host interns would tell you every week on time travel, I came with an information packet typed out sometimes 10 pages. Oh shit. It had like information about, songs were playing, arts were playing, and the background information, uh, shows that were coming up, any news. I, I would call people like, any news, hip-hop news. 
not, but not like gossip news, but like actual about right. upcoming music, songs being worked on. Like it was all about the art, nothing gossipy, right. nothing like beef, not that. Like, but you hear. I know what you're saying. Stuff. Just like you know, information. Yeah. Information. I was like, here's about the artistry of hip hop, and I would come with like a ten to fifteen page packet every week for the show. So I was like, you had to be. I wanted people to be focused. So a lot of times, like, people come by, and I wouldn't. I would know they're there. I right. know their faces. But we probably never said more than five sentences to each other. Right. So that potential was one of those groups who like they, they came enough that I got to eventually know them better. And the, and it's funny because they record that song, those that demo was like four or five songs comparing contrast, jazz. Yes. It's like five songs, I believe. Only like a few of them are actually been shared on the internet. But they recorded on ADAT, and at some point, I believe it was Arcane from the group. Because of my archival, archival, I was known as an archivist. He, I have the ADATs. They're literally, Damn. they're in the room next door. I recently got like he, I so I have the ADATs. Step central. Where do you live, Kevin? Man, I gotta go to your house, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, so yeah, so I, 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 I one of those things is I want to find some ADATs to transfer that to Pro Tools and give yeah. them back to the group. Right. And also maybe find someone that will release the epicentral because I'm like, it's a dope project. Yeah, it yeah. is. It's, it, it's so fucking ill, bro. All right. So this guy you mentioned before, yeah. and he's connected to, to Kanye West. But I remember hearing him on a, on a mixtape, an East Coast mixtape. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it's Grav, Gravity. So, And I know he dropped that one album, a great album, and then nothing after that. Yeah. Grav from Harlem, he came to Chicago for school. And this is a time when um, I was involved with Flypaper and so was Black Man Zeke. So I was living with Black Man Zeke. At this time, I wasn't, but at 91, for about a year, I lived with Black Man Zeke and his father. Um, and they let me put a home studio in their in their, in the, in the back room by the garage. That's where my home studio was. So I was always recording in their in, in, in demos in their house. Um, so in 92, me and Zeke were hanging out a lot, going to Chicago. I'm, I'm producing his demos. And we're being, you know, hanging out with the flypaper. And when um, the flypaper was familiar with Zeke's demos that I was producing, and then they were like, hey, we got this guy moving from New York. It's how I remember it. There's this guy moving from New York. They, they decided, hey, we got a guy, maybe we can form a group. Because Zeke was looking for a group, I think. And this guy was looking for a group too, a person to be in a group with him. So that's how Grav and Zeke became indigenous theory, who were part of um elements of nature elements of nature was like one of the key like mid-90s chicago like you know conglomerates like the hit squad right. or wu-tang or whatever you know it was like rubber room like, like old dominion like old dominion kind yeah, of like collective yeah yeah so you had like you know rubber room children of reality spillanes indigenous theory underground solution uh verb buddha uh syllabus illis immortal griffin so yeah like i'm probably forgetting someone uh dirty mf <laughs> damn so again, yeah, this, this 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 conglomerate, indigenous theory was part of that. Um, uh, kinetic order, I believe, is yeah, kinetic order. So like, um, so that indigenous theory started working on demos, and from those demos, I, a couple of times went to New York so they could work on demos, and we would stay with Grav's mom in Harlem. Um, Grav's mom still lived in Harlem. We would go and we would actually stay at, at his mom's house. Um, and so then when I went there in 90, you know, I went there in 94, 95, I would, when I go to New York, it was just kind of normal to stay with Grab's mom in Harlem, you know, that would be, be, build a, rep, a rapport. And so at this time, you know, Grab was 
recording that first album in New York. He did part of in Chicago and part of New York. I just happened to be out there when he was recording some in New York. He was recording at um, Power Play, legendary studio Power Play. Isn't uh, uh, Craig G record? Uh, record so, on it. Didn't he? A lot, a lot of Queens people because um, it was it was based in Queens. Yes. Um, um, Liz McCardo, this she was a famous engineer. I got to I got to sit in on a Liz McCardo session as she really grab record. I was like amazing. Like, well, I, I'm I'm watching Liz McCardo work. That was amazing. That's dope. She was mixing. Um, it's it was called Regurgitation. It became some. It, the name changed. It's uh, what's it called? Sick thoughts on the record. Six oh. thoughts. Yeah, that's the one where he's dreaming. He has a dream. Yeah. yeah, it was yeah. Called, it originally was called, it was originally was a little different a different beat. It was called I think that was a song that was called regurgitation and it became sick thoughts. I think the lyrics changed a little bit and the beat changed. But anyway, that was a song that I heard Liz McCardo mixing anyway. So I, I was in the studio and so and there was a point in time where it was both Kanye and me staying in, right. in the grabs. We're staying at the same time. This is around the time of the second issue of Caught in the Middle magazine. It's already out. So Kanye had a meeting with me and grabs mom's living room to play me his demo and t- in true Kanye fashion. Right. To tell me why he should be on the cover of the next Cotton in the Middle. Not just be in the magazine, <laughs> but why he should be on the cover. Right, right. So he's, a, he's a guy I never even heard of right. telling me why he should be on the cover of the magazine I'm a co-owner of. And it's one of those things I know people can be like, well, yeah, sure, in hindsight. but. This is not a thought that I have very often. I don't. I can't even think of another time I really thought this. Maybe to some degree with Spo, but in that meeting, Kanye asked me about being a cover, and I was like, "Well, I don't know that. We already got planned for the front cover for it because the, the, the next issue was going to be the cover. It was between um, it was actually between Rubber Room Grab or EC who's going to be on the cover, and then we ended up deciding on doing a double cover. I think it's going to end up being we we're going to do an ad on the back. It's going to be Rubber room on one side and then EC on the other, our grab. I can't remember. I can't remember. It was between those three though, but double sided cover. So anyway, um, so grab how'd it happen? So Kanye's playing me this demo, asking me about being in the magazine, but also saying I'm building a management team, asking me if I want to be on this management team, because he knows I do all these different things. Oh shit. And, he, and he's like, I promise you I'm gonna be a star. People say that all the time. Right. I remember thinking, I don't know, I, I, I answered this some way to him, but I certainly remember thinking that if Kanye is not a star, it won't be because of him. It will just be because some unforeseen first force made it not possible. Right. Like, everything about his, his, his will to succeed, I'd never seen anyone with that. It's rare that I saw anyone with that kind of will to succeed. Right. Yeah, he was destined to be a star. Yeah. It, it, and I, I know that's easy to say in hindsight, but no, I remember feeling that. And even even a moment where I was like, I should probably take him up on this offer. But I was like, I have my own passions. I don't want right. to. My passion isn't my passion isn't to see his passion come to life. My passion right. is my passion come to life. So I, so I turned him down. But, you know, it's like, but yeah, so that was like how I met. That was my connection with Grav, how I met Kanye, how I got to see that album come together. And it was cool because, you know, like I was known as the guy that like, even back then, people knew I was a guy that knew a lot about hip hop. So a lot of times, like when Rubber Room or whoever was recording, when they were coming to the scratch hooks, they would call me like, hey, here's our song title. What can we scratch for the hook? I was a guy to call to be like, oh, yeah, just so-and-so says this, so-and-so says this. 
So when Grab was working on the record, which is crazy because you think about it, that's recorded in Power Play with Liz McCardo, Kanye on the production, some production. Um, DJ Newmark of Jurassic Five is yep. the A&R for Correct. He also does cuts on the record. Like this, like it's like this. Who's involved? This record is kind of crazy when you look about right. it in hindsight. Um, but I remember getting a call from them. Man, hey, we got this song called um, uh, "Down to Earth," which is a play on his name, Gravity. Like, what can we scratch? And I remember being like, "Yo, I got it. This new, it's a new song, but it's an acapella." Royal Fam had just dropped. Something yeah. got big in the biz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So on that yeah. record, you hear him scratching gra- gravity uh, on the yeah. song. He goes, "I come down like force gravity." <laughs> That's what he says. Yeah. And I was like, "You can scratch that." They end up only scratching the gravity part, but that that was like the first time I ever gave an idea that became a, on a record. Right. There you go, I, man. I, I was like, "Okay, that my, my idea made it to a record." And and, and then that song has a a, a song called. I think it's come on, but we all got in the booth. It's like me, basically everybody on that song, line for line, line, line to, what's it called, line for line, line to line, line for line, something, yeah, line something, for line. yeah. Every pretty much everybody on that song got jam packed in the booth. We were like literally stacking each other. <laughs> we're like, come on, come on, come on, like you know, you know those nineties cooks, right, right, so right. Bad they didn't use. Oh, so it. you were part of that. But, I, but it ended up not being used because oh, okay. it was still bad. Okay. In, 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 the, in the recorded version, I think this, it's, it's just grabbed. They they redid it because you know we, we were all over. It was like it was. I could tell it was chaos. Everyone was come on, come on, come on. Like, okay, all right. <laughs> and I'm not even that kind of guy to be like yelling, yelling. I don't yell. So it's yeah. like I'm like trying to. So yeah. But anyway, but it was cool to be a part of that record, right. especially in, in general because I was like a fan of grab. But then also just like, you know, for the historical content that now that we know what that album was and what it was. And, and you know, I don't know for exactly sure. I mean, I, I know I've talked to Grab. I'm just drawing a blank, but I I, I, don't, I don't know why he didn't do a, a immediate follow up record. I mean, I know the, the label kind of folded and it was just like it was hard to, you know. Was the label correct? Correct. Yeah, correct. And yeah. correct was like one of those labels that was like dope by the A&R. And it was just like, a, you know, someone that was. You know, came family came from money. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, they they had Manish on that, yeah. which was and, 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 and Manish was dope, and also yeah. Manish was. A, I'm a, one of my all time favorite rap groups, and albums is uh, Funky Town Pros, reaching a level of assassination '91, and boy, and uh, devastating from Funky Town Pros did a couple of tracks on that Manish record, and from them coming on my radio show. Because Jaybird did promotions for Correct Records, right? <laughs> so they came to Chicago a few times and came on my radio show for interviews. That's how I connected with Funky Town Pros directly, and how I got the dat to their unreleased music. So that's like the connection. I know all these connections, man. So yeah, it's all connected like that. So yeah. All right. So this next group, they're not from Chicago, right. but I think you know who they are. They did uh, some tracks with dudes from the Far Side, uh, Rusty Pelicans or Rusty Peas. You know anything mm, about yeah, them? Yeah, 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 yeah. They were from Milwaukee. Yeah, dope, dope group. Um, and they they did they they actually. I think I first met, I heard about them because, um. Sage Francis, I think it was, I. I it's crazy how like Sage Francis from like I think he's from Rhode Island or yeah. <laughs> and then he knows like Rusty Peas and then 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 now he he connects them to you somehow. It's crazy how the hip hop culture is, man, sometimes. 
I was trying to book a show in, in Chicago. It's funny. I got I, I do these things like I can't even remember what the hell I've done. But like <laughs> I, I I end up getting like I was trying to get the Sebutones and Sage French. Yeah, Sebutones. And end up Buck ended up getting stopped at get stopped at the border. So only six two made it. But anyway, we did the show for them in Chicago, and then we also arranged for them to do a show. In, like if I had them in town, especially from like from Halifax, Canada, I was like, oh, let's, let's do something else. So we also arranged for a show in Milwaukee. And I think it was a show, and and Rusty Peace played that show in Milwaukee. So that's how I think I first heard Rusty Peace. And then like you know I would like um, from there I started getting their music and would play them on the radio show. Um, you know, in, in time travel. So yeah, like yeah, like Rusty Peace, one of the super cool dudes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Rusty Peace is dope. All right, so this group, I, I, and it's a group, and also like the, this individual broke off and, and went solo, but I think he's a transplant like Grav from New York. Mm. Okay, but they they were first the Mental Giants, which is uh, Akbar and P. Lee. Yeah, Parker Lee. P. Lee so what, what do you, are they from, originally from Chicago, or are they from New York and went to? They're both from New York. They're considered, they're considered two of the main people, P. Lee, and, and, you know, who brought hip hop to Chicago. Like, okay, P. so P. the like Mental Giants. Yeah, Billy Peely Fresh is like instrumental because like he was he had a he had a show on WNUR in the, in the early '80s. He was like one of the original like hip hop DJs on NUR, um, one of the first ones. Um, but his his show, but he like would bring New York to that show and him and yeah. So like I remember like listening to like Peely Fresh on NUR when I was in high school and him talking about like things in New York and like telling stories and like he was like. No, because time travel was like an educational rap show where I would give you all more details than any other rap show you probably ever heard in your life. Right. Part of that was influenced by what I heard from Peely Fresh, but he would do it. I just ended up doing it more frequently than Peely, but he did a couple of times. I was like, okay, he's giving some background information about these artists. And so that was an inspiration. And so like, no, Mental Giants. And like, again, like I'm a huge fan of Mental Giants. Akbar is like one of the most... Ne- there are certain people I know, I know, dude. who were just like, he was born to MC. Right. His voice, right. his flow, his right. He's he's literally a perfect MC. Right. There's a certain people I consider perfect MCs, like Akbar, uh, AC alone. It's like when they're like their voice, their flow, their content, their improv, they're great at every aspect of MCing. Feral Manch, you know, like there's a certain MCs who are just like, okay, you are just like, the genius, you know, like there's like certain people I think of like they're perfect in every way. As I'm seeing, and Akbar is one of those. Yeah, so I'm like, and, and Peely is just like uh, beyond just like how dope he was as like you know spreading the culture. Like some of the first hip hop shows, you know, he was like booking some of the early shows in Chicago. Um, you know, he was, uh, you know, him and Akbar were, you know, early on the graffiti scene in Chicago. So that every part of hip hop there, the graffiti scene, the radio scene. The MC DJ scene, Peely is a producer, everything. They had an early music video, like they pioneered pretty much everything. Yeah, was that the Jeepers Creepers? Yeah, they, it was like a, it was like it's a two song. Yeah, know. Jeepers Creepers and something else, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so, yeah, so this I, next. Go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, brother. Keep going. <laughs> no, Mental Giants. I'm a huge fan yeah. of, of of and, and Peely just passed away recently. So rest yeah, RIP, RIP, my man. Yeah. All right, so this next group, you you had brought them up. 
and and I remember uh, again, like in the days of Napster and all that, wound up getting like one of their albums, and that's them Bad Apples. What could you tell me about them Bad Apples? They're they're dope, man. Really fucking dope group. Yeah. So them Bad Apples came because, um, yeah, because Maker some Maker was just a producer doing a lot of stuff, and they were like from um coming from a different part of you know the town, um, and so yeah, they were just giving me these 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 CDRs. Of different songs and like i was like really impressed with the production and just also the emceeing like they were a diverse crew and then they had a separate crew called costume like costume like vertebraker and concept were also part of them apples but they had a separate thing and i was a really big fan of the costume record like that record like like when i did my genius a genius record that you know i, I finally put it out a few years ago yeah it should have came out in 2001. back then when i was going to do the album 2001 one of the only Features I wanted was costume because I was a big fan of costume, and I still and when I did it a few years ago, I still asked. And mind you, neither one of them make music right now, but I got them to make music again just to do a song with me. Damn, that's dope. That's how much I love them, Bad Apples and Costume and, and Maker because and, and Maker and Maker produced it. You like 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 no, I'm a huge fan of what they were doing. Um, like yeah, and and like I saw them live. Um, they did a couple of shows at that time. Like I think I saw them at like the um, was it the place called the Furama? I believe it was. But like yeah, no, nah, them bad apples were just dope. And Maker just like such an amazing producer. Like I'm like I'm a huge Maker fan. Like he's just like just to see how he developed as a producer is great. Like you know, like when I was gonna start my record label in 2001, my um second release was supposed to be a Vortal. From Ken Ox solo yeah. 12 inch produced by Maker. Oh, that's like, oh, that would have been dope, man. He had the beats, Vorla had the beats. It was all good to go. Uh, but you know, if you know the Cannibal Ox song Life's Ill. Yeah, Life's yeah. Ill. Vortal's yeah. not on that song, but the what Vass is talking about, about Vortal having that situation, but you know, because he got his jaw damaged where he couldn't record for a few months. Right. That was the time he's supposed to be recording that single. He just couldn't make music. And then oh, I wow. and then I got then I got a job at Rhyme Sayers and I moved and I didn't do the label so that's why it never happened. But no, he had the beats and everything. Like he was gonna do three man. songs, a three song single. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Bortles nasty too, man. That's another oh, crazy. Oh, a huge yeah. man. That dude is when that when that dude's in the zone, he's he's magical. He once came to time travel, and did this freestyle, this improv to um a screwball beat um screwed up. I love that beat. A beat nuts produced track. I think it's beat nuts. But um, yo, he just blacks out and does this, you know, Vortles special. He's a special individual. <laughs> special. Right. This next group from Minnesota, they're yeah. kind of affiliated with uh, with Rhyme Sayers. But when I first started getting into them, I don't know if they were a part of Rhyme Sayers and they broke off and they started their own little like crew. Um, it's Cancer. They, they they were um I don't know if they were ever technically part of Rhyme Stairs, but they were like you know some of those early headshot shows. They were definitely on shows together, and then Ant was doing some production for Cancer. Right. Um. So there was like there was a connection from that, but they they were like yeah, they were sort of like sort of uh, sort of at the time where headshots were sort of dissolving. Right. Cancer was sort of coming up. Um. But like you know, there's a, a other connection because like uh. Like one of the members of Cancers is Unicus. Unicus, yes. And Unicus, you know, was already 
doing music with Beyond before, like I think even before Rhyme Stars existed. So, like, so they, they 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 had a connection before that. So they, so had like, a, yeah, they were in a group before. Yeah, I, I'm trying to. Yeah, it was a. Uh, I think they were both in the group called the Labyrinth. I think I think that was Unicus. It was in Labyrinth, but I think I'm pretty sure that Amperdia, yeah, because like he was in a group called right before Beyond went solo. He was in that group Labyrinth, and I'm pretty sure Unicus was a part of, and Ant was a producer for, or at least one of the producers for. So yeah, so they had this long history, uh, and they had some kind of like there was like some kind of falling out between Cancer and Rhyme Sayers. Um, but I bet that was before I before I moved there. Or, 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 you know, so I don't know the details of that. But yeah, but they were definitely a part. And when I moved there, Cancer was still very active on the scene. And um, New MC, like New MC, he you know he competed at Scribble Jam. You know, he was like you know a battle MC um, in the Twin Cities. He was like you know we had a um, when I first moved there, there was a place called the Loring Pasta Bar, and they did Monday Night Hip Hop. It's a dope DJ night. As the first place I ever DJed in Minneapolis, they invited me to DJ there because they saw me at Scribble Jam. They knew me from right. Scribble. And um, they had an MC battle there on Monday nights. And for a while, new MC of Cancer was like kind of like the reigning champion for that battle for a while. That's dope, man. Yeah, yeah. All right. So this group, I know for sure you know. I mean, they, they're, they're connected to everything all, all up and down Midway. Okay. Um, Micronauts. So that's, you know, I Self Divine and Cool DJ Akin. As the, as the connections continue, <laughs> yep. that, that trip to um atlanta with mental block right there was a guy we there was some people we knew from um north chicago uh dj what for and cloud nine was mc tabari his name was cloud nine cloud nine was an incredible mc like he was the only person i knew that could like recite freestyle fellowship verses word for word like do the styles and knew the words. Like he could like do Micah Nine. I'm like, you can do Micah yeah, Nine verses. Micah Nine's hard <laughs> to do, man. Like you can't, the average human being, even the above average human being can't do Micah Nine verses. But, yeah, Micah Nine's a next level. But I've seen I've seen Cloud Nine do Micah Nine verses, like rap along with Micah. I'm like, okay, you're special. But he, and also just like on his own, he was a right. MC. He later on was a producer. He produced some like theme songs for time travel. Anyway. When we were in one of the few things we did while we were in Atlanta, trying to do songs in the tag team studio, was we connected with Cloud Nine and um, What Four, who were living out there at school, or whatever. And they had a group. They were down with out there roommates or whatever called the Mighty Blood Fang. Mighty Blood Fang were a dope group that worked with the Single Minded Pros, who were from like Boston yeah. but were living in Chicago, Rude One and Doc West. And they were like connected with um, Mighty Blood Fang. So all that was connected. And in that, when I was hanging out with Blood Fang, What For, and Cloud Nine, they gave me a Micronauts cassette. Oh, shit. Um, so deep I never fell. Yeah. And I was like, okay, this is, this is dope. So I started playing that on my radio show. Then, because of like, um, um, Time, you know, because time travel, like a lot of groups were listening to time travel and like like the Opus, you know, the, they were producers for Rubber Room, then they were right. became Opus did this production stuff. When they work on their first album, you know, a lot of times they would like listen to time travel and that's where they got, like the moment and uh, Opus, a lot of times listening to time travel is where they got ideas of artists to work with. Like I was, I was helping the moment connect with artists to like some of those songs you hear with the moment records, if they're not Chicago artists initially a lot of times i was one of the people 
connecting them with like a lot of people I, like with doom and aesop and i don't know if all those but like sage and sebi tones like a lot of those came from me i don't know if all of them for sure but i think most of those and not all those came from me rhyme sayers came from me directly or indirectly um for, mo for the most part and so when the opus was working on their first record they through the through um bird and rhyme sayers they connected because i self was connected with headshots right so yeah. when i went to, when so it was like like the, the song the basement from the opus that came from the opus hitting me up about aesop and me connecting them with aesop damn um and then they connected with I self independently to do that song with MERS, Lord 360, and I self, right? Um, and so when I went to the studio when they were working on that record, I, I self happened to be there working on working on his song. And so that's when the first time I got to meet I self. And um he gave me a tape of the, he's like, this is our album coming out. And it was just a, you know, like if you go to the studio back then, you may just get a, a cassette tape, a clear studio cassette tape with no writing. It's all a game. It was right. no label tape. on it or nothing, right? It was nothing. I had to remember the artist name. I had no none of the song titles, but he said it was coming out soon. I remember listening to it, thinking it was dope, but I'm like, I don't even know what the songs are called. So I, I, I put it to the side. I was like, I'm going to put it to the side. When it comes out, I'll play it because it's dope. Right. And it never came out. I, I never got it. It was Return of the Travelers record. Yep, the Travelers. Yeah. And, and then I ended up forgetting about it because I, I was getting so much music that I just had moved on. So it wasn't until they came back with the deal with Subverse or whatever and did the Obelisk movements. And then we booked them in those those shows, the Metro shows I was talking about. We ended up booking them. It was a show we did. We brought we brought um, MF Doom to town and Big Just. Big Just, me and Just co-hosted co this event. And Mike and, and I. Now, is that Just after he left? That cultural yeah, split, okay. Post co flow, because because right. like I said, Bob Beto connected me with LP, right. so I went to New York. I met when I went to New York after I got connected with LP. Um, I went there for uh, Rocksteady, you know, for Zulu anniversary. I called LP and we met, and I went to his apartment, and he lived with Big Joe. They lived together. Right. When I was this was right before this was before. Um, Fun Crusher came out. And they had just finished Fun Crusher. Like Is that Fun Crusher or Fun Crusher Plus? Fun Crusher. Okay, the they original. Just, okay. They had just finished Fun Crusher like that week. Like, oh, I mean, shit. like, like I'm saying maybe like that day. Like he had two copies. <laughs> the masters, right? Of, of a cassette master right. of, of the album. And I stayed, I ended up, the person I went to New York with abandoned me, stranded me. <laughs> Damn. So I ended up staying at, you know, with LP and just their apartment overnight. I remember they showed me the Eight Steps to Perfection music video. They had just shot it. Already yeah. the Rugged Man's in that video. That they just that they, they yeah, never, yeah, yeah. it never came yeah. out. Didn't he do like the vocal? Didn't he do like the 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 what do you call it, the ad libs? He did that on a different song, but not yeah. Eight Steps. He's just in the video. I think I don't think he's on ad libs. That he's on the he's on the ad libs for um the next single i can't remember what song it is but anyway yeah anyway so i had i was hanging out with lp and just and that's how i connected with just like no well i brought some rare demos with me in that trip i had dr octagon like maybe like eight months before it came out and i had this artist immortal griffin from chicago right so i was just playing demos for lp and 
LP was like, if you make me dubs of those things, I'll let you have this phone culture tape. What the fuck, bro? Before so that's why I was the, else. I was one of two people that had fun crusher. So I was one of the first, not the first people, like probably between me and Bob, Bob Beetle to play it on the radio first. Right. Because I had one of the one of the two copies. Wow. Like I still have the copy of that tape. Like, yeah. So that's so that's that's how I knew Just. And so we stayed in touch. And so now years right. later, we brought him to Chicago to co-host his show. And he did like a short set. He performed, like, you know, like a 10-minute set. And Doom performed and Micronauts performed. And their show was amazing. Like seeing a Micronauts live, I was like, yeah. oh, cool. these guys are the truth. And then so when I moved to Chicago, when I moved to Minneapolis, I definitely like, no, I'm like, a, like, there was that time period of around obelisk movements and a few things where I think Shaka was one of the best rhyme writers in the world. I, I saw, like, uh, the, the song Decapitation Part Three, that song is a work of art lyrically. And there's other songs like that too. Like, yeah, like, yeah he's like, incredible. When he's in that zone, when he's in that zone, when he just connects the words and such, his poetic value is so, uh, yeah. I have had long talks with, with myself about how much I appreciate. Like, I got him, he, he's very diligent about writing everything. He, he uses those, like, you know those um, composition, black and white, kind of like. Yeah, those notebooks, composition notebooks, yeah. He uses those. He has a stacks of them. I have scanned, like, half of them. I've got him to give them to me, and I've, I have them on my laptop, like, scans of his lyrics from his history of lyrics i'm like a fan like I, I've, scan, I've scanned his rhyme books that is crazy man that's, that's like scan a, that's like scanning a graffiti artist's black book you know no, what i mean oh exactly no i you know, i'm saying like i have there's songs in there that they never recorded and can I'm you like, tell no. me can you tell me why they never made a dino spectrum part two i, I think it was just like the, that shit was so it, dope you know what it's funny i tried to get it to happen like it almost happened, like you know, a few years ago. Like there's a, there's a song, with a, there's a there's a song on an atmosphere album with all four of them, because I was working on a second Dino album. Oh, but really? Then I, but then I went to Europe. I left. It fell apart when I, it fell apart pretty much when I left. Oh shit, man! Like I was working, like because you know we put because you know Dino Spectrum was never on vinyl. Well, I don't know if it was on vinyl. All I know is that I got it on CD and I did yeah. a review on it in the Somnac and it was awesome. It was never on vinyl. I put it on. I got it on vinyl like just like maybe like five years ago. Right, I right. went and found the reels, the reels, paid someone to bake the reels, transform the Pro Tools, have someone remix them down. Like, go listen to the new versions of Dino Spectrum. If you haven't listened to it in a while. No, I haven't in a while. Dude, go listen to the remaster. It will, yo, it will blow your mind how much better it sounds. Now, is it available non-vinyl? Because I don't have a record player. No, I'm saying we did the remasters on Spotify, too. Oh, is it on? Okay, I'll check Spotify. No, it's on. It's on. It's on all streaming sites. It, it's it, it, the re, it's the remaster version. Like I literally had them because I'm saying that was like when they recorded that they just went and bought equipment like that. Overcast, uh, comparison, and um, Dino Spectrum. Those three records were all recorded like in succession, like immediately after each around the same time and or after each other another. And they bought all that equipment and taught themselves how to use it by making those albums. So they had no idea about engineering. They just did it on their own. Right. They did a, still, job. They did a great job, bro. But go listen to how it sounds now when a real engineer does it. Okay. You can just hear. And also, I and when I did it, I included like three songs that aren't that were never released. There's new oh, songs. There's new songs on there, including a ill I self solo song that's amazing. Oh shit, man. <laughs> so, no, so like no, I put that. Oh, I, I, okay. That was like. 
I have been wanting to do that since I first got the job at Rhyme Stairs. Like doing that was like something that I was eventually like, I have to eventually get down the spectrum on vinyl so I can own it on vinyl. Like that was like, I connected with abuse, had abuse do new artwork. Like I went all out to get that. And and part of that was we were going to do that and then announce a second Donald Spectrum record. And they started recording. Like I, like it was, I was going to like, I was going to like, you know, like, I was going to kind of mastermind it. Like I was like, I had talks with all the MCs, like it only will work if you approach it in this way. Like, I don't, I don't want you just to all rap together. I want a dino spectrum record. Yeah. So we had meetings and talks about how to approach. And I was going to be like, kind of trying to like help navigate that. But so you were like, like a director, you're going to be the yeah, director. I'm going to try to be like a director for that. It's one of those things like, you know, I have a connection with all those artists, you know, involved. And they all kind of trust my vision to some degree. So like they feel okay with me kind of like, okay, being involved in that way. So like, yeah, and just, just fell apart. Like it's like anything else, there's so many things going on. So just be, you never get around to it. Yeah. All right. So, all right. <laughs> you, you have so much information, Kevin. Oh my yeah, Lord. Anytime you get, I'm gonna have no, and it's awesome though. I'm not, it, oh my God, man. I can like, do this all day. So you know. if, if Johnny knew, if, if the technology for Johnny Mnemonic existed, I would just say, send me a thumb drive, please, of your brain. You know what I mean? <laughs> All right, so this next, these next two groups, I'm going to lump them together because they're both from Canada and they're like favorites of mine. Um, the Rascals and Ghetto Concept. What do you? Wow. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I had to go there, bro. No, I'm a big fan of both of those. Rascals, one of those groups that um, because they're like they're from Vancouver, right? They're from Vancouver. I have a Vancouver, but, but they moved to T dot, I believe, because they yeah, reference yeah, T dot yeah. a lot. They're from Vancouver, but they're they're. So like when I was in at least one of my trips to Toronto, 95, 96, 97, I did like a few trips in that time frame. One of them, the Rascals were there. I, I got I had them on video performing live. And they were like, and I, I was connected to their manager, I believe, directly, who was sending me stuff for time travel. So um, yeah, because the, the producer was Chemo. Chemo, yep. Yeah, Lab Rats. He used to break too. Mm. Chemo, so I, think yeah. I, I don't know if I do that. But um, well, you know, around this time, it well, was kind they of were like, they were a breakdancing crew first. I know. I think I did kind of know that. Yeah, yeah, that sounds familiar. Like, that's like a lot of those. That, that was like the era. Like a lot of like the far side were dancing. Like, the dancers became like, right. Like, you were seeing it happen more often. I mean, it happened in the late eighties or nineties. Like right. Ziggy was one of those groups that you know were dancing. Ziggy was with. dope. I like Ziggy, man. Uh, you know, uh, Stretch from the Mop Tops and the Wise Guys. So yeah, this yeah. It, it, it had been done before. You know, uh, UTFO was probably the first example. Like they were dancers for Houdini, then became you know, so like that's a history of that, right? But um, oh, wait, I, I got lost. What are we talking about? We're talking about uh, uh, the oh, Rascals, 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 yeah, yeah. So Rascals, so like, no, I was a fan. Like you know, like they had they had some dope records at that time, like that late '90s, mid '90s. They had some dope records. Uh, Dreaded Fist was like I used Dreaded that was fucking like, Fist, bro. That's the one I used to play a lot on yeah. the radio show. Was Dreaded Fist, and then I saw them live. And they were had a dope live show, and oh, I was saying that um. This was a time period where a lot of labels would do like you know remix contests, and then and like and so I remember like me and Jill would do some of those remix contests, uh, and one of them was like for AC Alone's All Balls Don't Bounce for um, Mike Check, and me and, and Jill did a remix for it, but Chemo from Lab Rats from Rascals won that. He won, I'm pretty sure he won first place for that remix contest. That's how I first heard about Chemo. I'm pretty and what sure. did he do? Do you know remember what he did? What did he yeah, it, was, it was a Mike Check remix. Yeah. It, 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 oh, it, it, so. So everybody had to do the same thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it's like you know, it's like the, the 12 inches out there in the world, acapella's on a 12 inch, make a remix. 
and like then they then they released a 12 inch with his remix on it damn there's a, there's a, there's a so they did a remix 12 inch of the of the, of the i think the top three winners i don't me and joe never even submit we, we missed the deadline we never even submitted ours but i have it i think i have that <laughs> oh yeah so the, that was the rascals now yeah. uh ghetto concept okay and you are um when I started in UR, we you know they had a record. I have my own collection of music, so I didn't really need their their collection. But at some point, I was like, "Well, let me just see what they got." And they had like this section of still with the records, and you know, it's like, "Okay, I don't really, I have most of this stuff. Where I don't care. It's like the major label and stuff like that. I don't, it's fine." But then I learned that there's a big, ba- just you know, like I think it was like Jail used to exp- like he would be there for like four or five hours at a time, and so Jail just started exploring, and other people started exploring in the basement. We found there's a whole other music room in the basement. That's where all the the real records were at from the from the 80s and everything. And it was a it was just thrown in this room. It was a mess. Records were just thrown everywhere. So we got permission to organize it. Oh wow. And that if we organized it, we could get some free records. We could take some records home from the collection. Like because there was like doubles and triples down there. So we could take like extras. And so ghetto concept was one of the records i found down there easy wow on the, easy on the motion yeah man and when i heard i'm like that record is just the production their 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 style and just the way they wait what's the what's the what's the what's the b-side that easy on the motion and hard copy Woo! both <laughs> those songs are so i'm like i'm a that's one of my prize 12 inches is that 12 i love this because my prize 12 inches are not about value it's about the value, how the music means to me. And that ghetto concept record is a favorite of mine. Hard copy, easy on the motion. So um, yeah, I'm a big fan of them. So when I went to Toronto, uh, one of my first, second time, one of the groups that was coming up was this group called Red Life. Yeah, Red Life, they, aren't they affiliated with uh, ghetto with ghetto concept and, and uh, Rascals? Yeah, so like, I so I was like, you know, able to like interview red i went to like their house one of their houses and interviewed them at like their mom's kitchen table interviewed red life and they gave me some songs one of those tapes they gave me was a single called who's gonna take the weight original and remix that song came out on 12 inch there's a b-side song that never came out as far as i know called Forescope. yeah you put it you you yeah. put it out yeah like I don't think it never was available until I put it out, and because they gave it to me when I came, when I interviewed them in their grandma, their mother's kitchen, wherever it was, they gave me that tape, and it has ghetto concept, and that song is, yo, that song was super dope. It's serious, bro, it's a serious song. Yeah, I'm, so I'm, a, I'm a big fan of that whole like era of Toronto hip hop, I mean, in general. I can talk for hours about Toronto hip hop, but yeah. But ghetto concept. Trust me, I know Mathematic, Danio, all those dudes, man. You know, man, no, like, yeah, Frank, the Frankenstein era. Frankenstein, like, bro. The UV, I think, was there was one of the yeah. APs. UV, yeah, yeah man. Yeah. So there's like so much stuff that like, but yeah, ghetto concept and red life and all that. Mishy me, like Mishy me was the first artist I ever heard from Toronto, and that song on this mic is one of. People always talk about how how important 1988 is. It's one of the best years in hip hop, and I agree. And I also say, which is not popular, one of my favorite rap songs in 88 is Mishy Me on this mic. Mishy Me and LA Love. That song to me is rap perfection. The way she rides the beat, switches from like reggae chatting to MCing, right. the writing, like her elegance, perfection. That beat, the, the beat factory production. Right. 
Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I'm gonna group another. I'm gonna group another two like uh-huh. artists and groups. The, they're, they're they're Chicago uh, groups. One a, a personal favorite of mine. Okay. Um, they dropped two albums, but I don't know if I heard their second album because I I don't know. I like like how how you say sometimes you get distracted and you just leave things to the side. Yeah. But they were a dope group. Uh, Prime Meridian, and then the second group would be the Pacifics. Which is more like a crew, I guess. Pacific's more like a crew, I guess. You know, that's interesting. You, 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 it's funny. You're like, man, you you uh, you did your research. I know that, but also you you're also picking things that it's like the tie into these tie these things together. <laughs> so, Prime Meridian. I remember the first day I saw. I could tell you the day probably if I thought about it, but it's May '95. It was a thing called Mayfest in Champaign Urbana, Illinois. And I was at Mayfest '95 because. Rubber Room was playing, and I was asked to go take pictures for Caught in the Middle. That's why I was there. Uh, Tone B. Nimble ended up being the DJ for um, Rubber Room that day. I think he, they, Tone B. Nimble from All Natural was a DJ for the group that day, I'm pretty sure. Um, but Prime Meridian played that day. And also a group called um, Monastic Cypher played that day. Damn, I never heard of them. On, on that same channel where I, where, I shared, where, I played, where I shared that Red Life song, yeah, I, I share a monastic. Go listen to the song monastic on that same YouTube channel. Go, bro, that demo was crazy. Four songs I played. I think I shared uh, "Disaster Plight." This is from the title. I was like, well, they they performed first, and I was like, okay. Well, if you perform at a show in the '90s, I'm gonna walk up. To, if I like it, I'm gonna be like, "Can I have that tape? Or do you, do you have a tape?" Right. <laughs> and I went up to them, and they were like, and they gave me that tape. And, you, and on the tape, it says they wrote, you know, Mayfest 95. So, like, so they gave me that tape. I saw Prime Meridian, got their number, and stayed in touch. And they started giving me music. Um, around that same time I saw Prime Meridian was this thing in Chicago was the um, the Props Awards. And um, I believe they, like, I don't know if it was the first or second Props Awards, but I think I saw them play at the Props Awards. Might have been the second one, but I remember had the song um I can't the carrots of I can't anytime on the spot rhymes. Rhyme, yeah. And yeah. they did that song. I mean, that's like the I don't know if that was the first song they did in the set. That was that I rem, I can picture them performing that song in my head the first time I the second time I saw them. I mean, you know, after Mayfest, they did that. I think at the Props Awards, one or two. And so yeah, and so how it connects though is after we established with Rhyme Stairs, we're going to trade shows. We traded with Rubber Room first. The next time we brought a group to Minneapolis, it was Prime Meridian. We brought Prime Meridian to Minneapolis to open up for a, a Rhyme Sayer show. So we did a road trip with them. So yeah, so like we had a connection. I was a, I'm a big fan of um, Prime Meridian and um, that album. Yeah, that that first Meet album. Meet you in Greenwich. Yeah, when it, that man is so that because oh yeah because when they when they performed at Mayfest they did give me a tape they gave me a tape that had um, Mental Void. Mental Void, yeah. And yeah. um, what's the other one? They had two songs. They both begin with M's too. What the hell? But I I used to play those songs heavily on time travel. So yeah, big. And so Pacifics. Yes, they're one of those groups. I think I heard about Pacifics because I think someone in the group or their manager, someone was going to U of M, where NUR's, you know. That's their station. And they had they were involved with the, I can't remember what it was called, but it was like the 
Asian Arts Club or something club of, of Northwestern. Right, because they're Filipino, I, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was like some kind of club. And through that club, they brought the Mountain Brothers. Mountain Brothers. <laughs> so, the, so, they, so they brought the Mountain Brothers to do a show in Chicago, I guess, and maybe on campus. And they brought them to time travel. That's how I met the Mountain Brothers. Yeah, Mountain Brothers. And then, and, and and that's how I met. I'm pretty sure that's how I met the Pacifics. And so, they, and so, like one, they gave me a song, this side of the rhyme. I don't know if it ever came out, but there's a song, they, a single they were going to do. They gave it to me on mini disc. Just a damn, you know, mini disc was a thing for a hot second back back but, in those days. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So there's this side of the rhyme, and the this side of the rhyme remix is by Chops of the Mountain Brothers. I used to that that, that version was my preferred version. So I used to play that version on mini disc on time travel. So that was kind of like my opening to Pacifics, and they were dope. Yeah, yeah they yeah. were dope, man. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of like my that's like my biggest memory of of Pacifics is like they 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 connected me to the Mountain Brothers and they had some dope demos. And even after that, I'm saying they did dope stuff on their own too. So they didn't need they didn't need the Chops production, but they did they were dope on their own too. But yeah, the, first the one, pa- Paper Chase that song I love that song, man. Such a great song. Yeah. So all right, so we we got like four more and then we yeah. <laughs> we'll be done. Okay, so this group is this group's from um Cincinnati, Ohio, E dot com. You know anything about them? E.com? Yeah, E.com. You might have got me on that one. I don't know what that is. Okay. All right. So I'll skip that one. I'll I'll send you something from E.com. What, 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 what era is that? What year is that? That's like late 90s, early 2000s. They're kind yeah, of affiliated with uh with um Greenhouse Effect and all them dudes. Yeah, it's possible that I know something. You know, that era, I'm saying that era is like I'm doing I'm doing the radio. I'm doing right. Super Jam. And so, yeah. Keep talking, keep talking. Oh, I'm doing the I'm doing the radio. I'm doing Scribble Jam. I was just getting so much music given to me. It was so hard to like keep up with everything because like I was just getting like bombarded with music, which was great. So it's just possible I like I just got like I'm sure one of them probably gave me a tape or something that scribble jam. But a lot of times that would happen. I would get people would give me a bunch of stuff at Scribble Jam. And then I would I was running around all day, and people would steal my CDs. <laughs> so I would like have them hiding somewhere. Then I would come back and they'd be gone. So a lot of times people gave me stuff that I never even got a chance to listen to. So who knows? But yeah, no, I, I don't I don't know that group. I'm, but I'm curious though, because yeah, that whole that whole era of like you know there was so much dope talent in the um, Cincinnati and Columbus, Ohio that was coming to Scribble Jam. I know there's like so much great groups there. Yeah. Yeah, I got I got this I got the CD. I'm gonna show it to you. The, so, the name of the name of the album's called Obsidian. Let me see it. Yeah, that doesn't look familiar at all. And then that's the back. Yeah, that doesn't look familiar at all. I'm curious to hear that. I'd love to hear it. Yeah, it's it's dope, man. Um they it's part they're part of the waitlist, the, the whole waitlist crew. Um it was like, yeah, they, they had some dope affiliate groups and yeah, there's like so much great music. Yeah, yeah. Dude, I, I didn't think I would get you, but I did. I got you. I didn't think I would. Human. No, hey, we're all human, dude. We're all human. We're all human. That's awesome, actually. All right. So this guy, one of my best friends, but he's affiliated with he's affiliated with so many people. Q Nikon. Who's that? Q Nikon. Q Nikon. I don't know what that is either. West Coast. Q Nikon? Q Nikon. I don't think I'm familiar. Yeah, he's done stuff with uh, Black Silver. You know who Black Silver is? Yeah, yeah, because it's from with Cool Keith stuff. 
yeah, he's done stuff with Cool Keith. He's affiliated loosely with like Ice T. Um, he's a West oh, Coast guy. He's from he's from Oregon. Q Nikon. Oh, you know what? I vaguely know, but I can't I can't speak enough to know. Like, yeah, right. right. Cause like it's like um I'm trying to think what project. Well, who'd you just say he's connected with? Who you said Ice T? I think I know from Ice T thing. I think. Well, I mean, he did stuff with uh, Black Silver and Cool Keith called the Analog Brothers. He did yeah, an album yeah, so yeah, Analog Brothers. Yeah, I know from the Analog Brothers. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I just I, that's the only time I've ever heard them though. I never right. heard anything solo. He used to he used to he used to be in a group called um, oh, man. Sick Medics okay. from Oregon. Okay. And then he went solo, and then he 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 was part of another group. Uh, fuck, I'm trying to think of another group that he was with. But he's from that like, he's kind of loosely affiliated with like Old Dominion and those guys. Oh, I'm a big fan of them too. Yeah, because he he did uh, he did um, he was in a group with uh, one of the guys from from the Old Dominion crew. Uh, I'll send you some stuff from him too. Yeah, I'll send you eat.com and I'll send you some stuff from him too. Okay, so this next person, again, another person that moved from Chicago here to Orlando where I'm from, Central Florida. And I remember in the late 90s, I used to go to downtown Orlando. And this is like, you know, uh, Florida wasn't really known for hip hop back then. But we used to walk by this huge cypher all the time with mad MCs, man. And they were really dope. Like a lot of really dope artists came out of Florida, but he was one of them. I'm Swamburger. That's so perfect. I knew, I knew it was gonna be Swamp. I knew. I was like, I'm like, in terms of all the connections, yeah. The Swamp. My Swamp story is crazy. Hey, go for it, bro. I'm trying to think of the best way to tell this story. Okay, I'm 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 gonna tell it kind of backwards. So, you know, Scribble Jam, um, as it started to grow, we started doing like, I started like kind of um, doing a regional Scribble Jam events where we do the battles and like we do regional battles and that would be a way to get, it was just getting so hard to pick in seats for an MC battle. I want to get the best of the best. And so I thought just doing these regional battles would give more cities more of an opportunity to get some of their best represented. So I started doing these battles and I would go to the ones where I could, but I would even have people host their own and just give me the results. So I ended up doing, um, I think, 2007 in a Orlando scribble jam. Or, uh, yeah, Orlando. Um, so I came out there and um, we did like production battle, MC battle. And so I, I had um, already had a couple of Swam, um, Swam 12 inches. Was that the, 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 the nine to five? One was called, was called nine to five. 12 inch, like 2001 or something like that. Well, he, he released, I believe, one solo album. And then he also did, he had a group called the Soliloquist of Sound. Right. So like before, this is before I heard Soliloquist, he did like a solo project, the 12 right. inch that I had. <clears throat> a couple of things I knew about him. And so it's, it, um, so here we are, we are in Orlando at the Scribble Jam event and we're talking because I, you know, like Optics, uh, Optics is there. Optics, I believe, wins, went, that's just the one where Optics wins the regional battle and then goes on to win the, the main Producer battle with Scribble Jam too, but um, anyway, so me and Swam are talking, and I know, and, and and he just makes a comment about, you know, yeah, it's been a long time since I talked to you in Chicago. And I'm just like, what? What are you talking about? I never talked to this guy in Chicago. <laughs> and I just play along. I'm just like, you know, I met so many people. I must have just met him. He probably came to time travel. Right. 
like I said, one of those times where he just came, I didn't focus. I probably said hello. And to him, we met. And to me, to me we didn't meet because <laughs> I didn't remember it. <clears throat> That's what I thought. And then I went home. I don't know how long it took me. But finally, I was like, oh, oh my God. So Anacron. Anacron from LA, part of the Project Blow, Good Life thing. He's one of the people that when he got a copy of Caught in the Middle magazine, he wrote a letter talking about how much he appreciated the magazine, how he was involved with the good life scene, and how he would love to write for us. And so I was looking for more writers. Because in those first two issues, I'm like writing a lot of that magazine under different names. I have I mean, like, if I if I would have known, I would have fucking wrote for your magazine, bro. Damn. Oh man. I wrote <laughs> I wrote under like six or seven different names in Cotton the Middle. Like Agent something. I can't remember what it was. Like I had all these different names. Like Kev B, Kevin Beecham, but like I whatever. So I was looking for more, I was trying to diversify with more writers. So we got Anacron to write. And so Anacron started sending me tapes about the West Coast Underground, including his own demos his group peanut gallery. He eventually ended up moving to Chicago when we connected to do stuff and he would bring down his crew, the peanut gallery. One night he came down with, with this uh, ensemble of MCs that were all dope and they all just kicked it. And I, and there was one guy who stood out and I was like, okay, this, you know, be beyond Anacron. And this person came back on their own one time and gave me a demo on their own, a song called Solo Spirited, really dope demo. Gave me the demo. Never saw him again. That was those two times they disappeared. I played that demo for a long time. I still, decades later, listen to that demo pretty regularly. That was Swam. I had no idea that that was the same person. His name was Swam, but I, the Swam, the Swam, I never made the connection. Right. And it was so, I'm like, when I realized it, I was like, oh, it's the exact, it's the exact same person. But like, you know, like, Five years had passed or more. So it's like, right. I just didn't make that connection. I was like, when I realized that was like, that's that swamp. So yeah, me and him go back to that. Hello, hello. Hello. Oh, man. Did I lose you again? You there, Kevin? You care, Kevin? But yeah, so yeah, Swamp. But that, that was just so funny that uh, yeah, it was just so funny that <laughs> I, I didn't know that was him all that time. All right, so um, I'm gonna wrap it up with this one crew. Okay. Kind of, they're kind of uh modern, and I know that a couple of MCs from this crew kind of left and did their own thing, but not a lot of people really know them. Uh, the Tomorrow Kings. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm a big fan. Uh, so. Once again, connecting Tomorrow Kings, the, the first MC I remember. Well, uh, well, one of the first, if not the first MC I met was Sketch. Sketch, he's dope. <laughs> because, once again, Chicago prelims, I did it in Chicago. This is probably around that same time, 2007, 2008, I'm thinking. We did Chicago prelims at the Abbey Pub, I believe, and Sketch was one of the MCs. And when I just heard his voice and his like yeah. presence and it's like he was just so intimidating. Like I saw like MCs flinch when he like 
when he got in there, people, people were like, okay, calm down. I I, I had to be like, wait, is this going to get, like, because he was so intense. Right, right, right. I loved it. But, like, he would also, like, not have violence explode at your event. So, like, but, like so I was, like, on, like, I'm on edge, like, okay, is he going to, oh, okay, he's, that's just, he's just intense. He's just an intense yeah. person. <laughs> but, no, so, like, I remember, like, being, like, okay. Like, he, and he won, and he won the, uh, that prelim battle. So, he was in Scribble. So, I was a fan of Sketch from that day. And then, like, and so then years later, I learned about uh you know the tomorrow king stuff and some other mcs and like they did they did um they came to town to minneapolis when they did that first record um and they did an in-store at fifth element and yo they when i saw them yeah they're explosive man yeah they are they're like a a, uh uh like a wu-tang like on adrenaline like you know (laughs) super super dope like super ill like yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm actually, I'm actually trying to do a song with Sketch right now. That's yeah. dope. Yeah, yeah, that's dope. All right, Kev. So, uh, before we wrap this up, uh, let everybody know, like, what do you got new? Like, are you writing a book? Um, got new music coming out? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm asking a dumb question because you, you're, you got your hands in so many different cookie jars, but just give us an idea of what's gonna come in the, in the present and in the future for Kevin Beecham. Thank you. Um. Well, um, one of the things I'm trying to do now, now that I kind of realize how much being creative is important to me, is I'm trying to find a way to like make all my passions fit into one thing. And so I've been slowly like this, you know, practicing more than I ever had at all this stuff, like spending more hours of practicing DJing, emceeing, writing, improv, uh, production, and and also just like the educational side. I want to be able to do something where I can like maybe like do like seminars or perform or just like online classes where I can do all that. I can DJ, go into a verse, talk about the history of art. Like this, how can I make it all one thing? So I've been working on that. And then part of like that being built is like, um, I have the book, Microphone Mathematics. This is like the evolution of songwriting. That's in the editing phase right now. I'm looking for a home for that. I've got some options for that. Um, I got my podcast, Stories About Songs. Season one came out a while ago. Season two was recorded and now just being edited and um, locking in the uh, distribution deal for that to make it a bigger platform. Uh, so stories about song season two. And then music wise, my artist name is seven times three equals 21, all no spaces. And there's a long history about that. But um, I got, I, I released an album this year already called A Fair Use, which was like my first like self-produced solo record ever. I guess, yeah. That that's the cover behind you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I saw that cover. Um, I I worked uh in the school system for four years. Yeah. Uh, pr- primarily in an elementary school, and when I saw that art, it just reminded me of the art I used to see every day at the school I worked at. So it's dope. It's dope. Well, that was that was the idea. It was like you know, it's like you know, the whole idea was like this a fair use is talking about like growing up dealing with um anxiety and depression, and so right. like you know, like as a as a kid, so like you know, and it's like. Yeah, it's, it's a whole connection to what the, the artwork and all that. But so so that album's out, and I already have like three more projects ready to come out. Pretty much my part. So like you know, I'm dropping a project in, in just a few weeks, so that might, might be too late for this. But like uh, called um, Songbird, the Sound Unseen EP, the self-produced. The record I mentioned earlier, Stream of Contents, comp- Stream of Competence, all over EC Illa Beats, that has some Chicago features on it. That's with dope, dope, dope. with dope artwork by the legendary Trickster. So the artwork is ill. <laughs> and then I got this project called Circa 89 to 91. 
And that is a record, basically, the solo record I should have made post Wild Style. It's me like going back and thinking like as a time trap, if I could go back in time and make that record, what would it sound like now? And so I made that record. And that one's done too. And that one's dope because it has uh, Jay Zone playing all the drums. That's dope, bro. Yeah. So like, yeah. So like, that's uh, that one's done. I'm just, I'm, I'm actually just, he, I just got the drums from Jay Zone a few weeks ago. I'm just gotta finish that production stuff, adding the drums. But yeah. So I got all those three projects pretty much done. I'm waiting for a few features and some art. But yeah. So it's a whole bunch of music, man. I got, and I've already started writing like three other projects. Like I just, I'm just in a very creative zone right now, and I, and I love it. So yeah, just ride that wave, man. You know. Well, Kev, thank you so much. Uh, you don't know me, but I got mad love for you, bro. Because uh, I appreciate it, man. I know you now. Direction, man. <laughs> well, you know, know you know me now. Um, you're not. It's gonna be hard for you to lose me. So <laughs> you're in trouble, brother. No, I'm only kidding. Um, yeah, just keep doing what you're doing, brother. And thank you so much for the time. I know that you could have been doing something else, but uh, you know, you came on this little show, and maybe hopefully it'll blow up one day, and you know, and it'll get you more exposure. But uh, but um, send me when you get a chance. Send me like all the links to everything, so I could put it into uh, the description on my YouTube yeah. channel. And uh, just keep doing what you're doing, bro. Don't change, please. My man, I really appreciate that, and I also appreciate your purple wall, man. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my son. Uh, my son loves purple, so this is you know for him. That's my firstborn. So my favorite color is purple. So I, purple, yeah, so yeah. I know, I know. I saw I, this shirt. I, I picked this shirt very specifically for this. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm, I didn't know you had a purple wall. I'm like, oh, well, okay, okay. There so, you go. Look, connections. Remember, right place, right time, bro. It's all about man, for sure. Yeah. Man. All right, brother. Stay up, right. my man. You good? All right, peace, brother. Man. You doing? All right, everybody. I thought we were done. I guess we're not done. Um, because when I was naming off a lot of these groups that to find out if he had any affiliation with them, there was definitely one group that I saw on a post probably like maybe six, seven years ago that you had put up and they were from Texas. And I only and you put up uh uh I think it was on your YouTube channel, so it wasn't anything to be downloaded per se. Yeah. Uh and so I wound up looking them up and I did find the two songs, but I felt like no, that's not enough. So I kept digging and I was able to find on some MP3 page. I don't know what it was, but like they had Reverb Nation, something like that. I think it's it might have been Reverb Nation. Yeah, I found yeah. 10 more tracks and this group is uh, called The Distortionist. Can you can you give me some info on that? When we did Caught in the Middle, me and Bird, one of the first demos we got was from The Distortionist from Texas. I was blown away by this group. Like, you know, like it was like, like, handful of MCs, all of them were dope. The production was dope. Yeah. And so I used to play that record, that, that tape a lot on Time Travel, like heavily. And it's one of those things that like the name, the numbers on the tape, I called it at least once we talked, but I was getting so much music at the time that I didn't stay in touch, you know, like, and now, and then like, you know, then the number didn't work anymore. I finally tried to try it again. The number didn't work. And I was like, oh, I wonder what happened to Distortionist. And then I just lost touch. But I, you know, because and this is a good example for people like, like yourself and anyone that wants to kind of get into this is put things out there. A lot of the things of how I've connected is just because I just wrote stories or social posts and shared my thoughts and the groups have found me. That's dope. Quasar from Distortionist found me. Him and Massive, two of the members of the group, found me because of something I wrote on FifthElementOnline.com. Uh, I had a blog there, and they reached out 
and so we connected. And I actually, when I went to South by Southwest, like my first second time, I connected with Quasar to talk about it. Like he, like he was involved in Erica Badu early on. He was one of Erica Badu's early producers. No fucking way, man. Like he when when Erica Badu first played like South by South, he was telling me, "Yeah, you know, like it's like first time Erica Badu. I think he said the first time Erica Badu played South by Southwest, I was like her DJ or something like that. Like I was like, and I, and I, and I was producing like some of her stuff or something like that. That's dope, man. And I think I've learned that connection because there's a book about I don't know if it's an Erica Badu. I, I want to. I'm pretty sure, like, I think it's distortionist. Well, it's tricky because Kinetic Order. I talked about Kinetic Order. Yes. Rob Free from Kinetic Order <laughs> is Erica Badu's cousin. He's also, they make music together. Like, they, he's like, he, like a, lot, a lot of what he posts about is touring with Erica Badu. Um, so, and he's from, originally from Texas, like distortionist. Um, so I, I can't. I'm, I might be confusing one thing, but there's like a. I remember I, every once in a while I just, I just Google these groups like Kinetic Order, Distortionist. Right. It's, I know I, I I was Googling Kinetic Order, and one of the only things that comes up besides things that I've written <laughs> is <laughs> is in a book about Erica Badu that mentions Kinetic Order. I was like, I never knew why. I learned later that they were related. But there's like if you if you if you Google Kinetic Order, in your first few pages of results, you're going to find it connects to Erica Badu in the book. Wow. Okay, so and the I, books so the books about Erica Badu and it yeah, has Kinetic think, Order think, in it? Yeah, I think it's like an Erica Badu biography or something like that. I can't remember. It's just some, it's a, it's a random search I did 10 years ago or something like that. Yeah, I don't remember. I remember like, but I think in that same book, they also mentioned Quasar. Because like, I just read it, but like, you know, you, you know how online you can read part of the book, you know, when you Google it. It's like right. look inside the book. So I was like, I was able to read a few pages. And I, I think they mentioned Kinetic Order and Quasar in that book. But yeah, that's how those things connect. That's crazy. And then there's a Quasar in Chicago, right? A Quasar. Yeah, I'm seeing a Quasar. All right. Yeah. Outer Limits. Yes. Yeah, Outer Limits. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's I hold that a whole crazy story. He's about. he's he's dope too. It's <laughs> another dope MC right there. Uh, I, I, got, my man's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I got anything you mentioned, Mama. How about a little crazy story? Okay. I know, brother. I know. Mama, but now, but now you got me curious. I got to make sure what you have from distortionist because I mean, you, what if you have something I don't have? So that you mentioned, I got six songs. So I got to see what you got. So yeah. Yeah, I got I got some song. I got a song from them that has a female in it. Mm. Yeah, I don't think I have them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we definitely gonna, gonna talk. Yeah, we're definitely gonna talk, brother. So, all right. So, for real, for real, man. Thank you for everything, man. Yeah. And I'm gonna let you go, man. And 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 uh, we'll stay in touch, man, because I know you're gonna release more material, yeah. and I'm gonna want to talk to you about that. And if you have time and your schedule to talk to a dude like me, I would love to do that. Okay. I will. Yeah. Man. All right, brother. Stay yeah. up and stay blessed, man. Yeah. You too, man. All right. All right, man. Peace, brother. Yeah.